voiceover form, spiritual sequels to Space Jam and Scarface, plus a ton of Brits come together to make a Christmas classic, plus Russell Crowe sets sail to the far end of the world this week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Once again, taking you on a journey, setting sail to the far end of the world <laughs> of 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get ready to open up a little portal and celebrate three little portals, to be exact, and open... Uh, Get ready to open up three little portals and take a look at our world, pop culture-wise, all the good milestones and anniversaries of TV, film, music, video games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antisio. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and this week is the tits. <laughs> I'm always looking for an opportunity to say quick's the word and sharp's the action, and I never find one. <laughs> nice. And who else is with us? And I'm J.R. Rawls, and let's propose a toast. To the lesser of two weevils. Oh my god, are you guys referencing the same thing? Oh, get stick around we're for... giant nerds and we're on a boat. Stick around for that uh, middle segment? I can't remember now. Yes. Uh, hi, and thank <laughs> yeah. you to our patrons at patreon.com slash time. Give us five bucks and you can enjoy such things as the fourth season of Elm Street Nightmare. Uh, a retrospective on the evil dead. Joining exhaustive retrospectives on uh, Friday the 13th. Oh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Chuck, I couldn't say it, Chucky Child's Play. They they both have different, the series has different names. More stuff coming soon. Thank you for your support. 30, 20, 10. 30, 20, and 10 years ago from this week, November 10th through 16th, where we're sitting and recording across three decades, 1993, 2003, and 2013. Let's get started where we always do. 30 years ago, 1993, November 10th through the 16th. And there's a bunch of little news I have very little to say about. Maybe Puerto Rico voting against becoming the 51st state. This happens. This mm -hmm. is the default state. Most of the times when Puerto Rico votes, it votes against statehood. The only time that doesn't happen is when it's presented in a binary position. But when it's given the option, stay the same, statehood or independence, stay the same always wins. Yeah. yeah, it's close though. This one was a pretty close one, and they voted since then where statehood won. But yeah, it was. Uh, it depends how you phrase it. Really it really depends on how you phrase it. I am statehood for everybody. Mm -hmm. I want Puerto Rico to be a state. I want Samoa to be a state. I want the Virgin Islands to be a state. We should not have people who have uh, taxation without representation. Right. DC for statehood immediately. Well, that's the big reason Puerto Rico votes against it is because if mm -hmm. they become a state, they have to start paying income federal taxes mm -hmm. and they yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful place is all I wanted to say. And my favorite thing, they can't vote on the president. And right. then a couple years ago when that weird talk show guy was the president and there was a big hurricane that happened, somebody <laughs> oh, asked God. him. Before the paper towel throwing incident, what are you, What about Puerto Rico? They've been devastated by this hurricane. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do about it? I'm like, interesting. He's been sworn in and does not know he's president of Puerto Rico. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Great leader. <laughs> yeah. I just, I want a state of Caribbean. I feel like everybody, all our territories in the Caribbean can Virgin be Islands, one big state. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And then the same in the Pacific. We're like, 
Guam and Samoa and North Marshall Island. Everyone gets to be. That's one state. Well, would you include geographically like six thousand square miles? Would you? <laughs> would you include Cuba in that? Because this week, thirty years ago, thirteen Cuban refugees land in Florida after stealing a crop duster in Cuba. <laughs> Damn. Oh, yeah, that is a huge border they, to cross. <laughs> I think holding on the well, that's about a hundred miles, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically. What happened was, in the early 1990s, Cuba was getting massive amounts from the Soviet Union. They were their one ally in North America, so they were like just shoveling the foreign aid. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed, Cuba was like, uh, what do we do now? And the answer was suffer, because the 1990s in Cuba were the worst decade in mm. Cuban history, pretty much. And... Yeah, yeah. So for the rest of the next 10 years, we're going to get Cubans just desperate to flee Cuba, even more so than they normally are. Yep. Damn. I'm imagining, I mean, when I imagine a crop duster, I think North by Northwest. I'm imagining like a biplane. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't I, that. I imagine well, follow that. I don't know it wasn't true. Cubans have like made rafts out of garbage bags to get mm -hmm. to America. Yeah, yeah, didn't seem like that would make it. Uh, also, in foreign news, speaking of Russia, Russian President Boris Yeltsin shuts down the Lenin Museum, d infuriating Beatles fans all over the world. <laughs> Not that Lenin, teehee. Doesn't stake, shut for long, Putin reopens it and starts funding it at the government again. And you can still go to this day. Uh, more than 100 years after his death, you can go look at the waxy embalmed Vladimir Lenin. Yeah, yeah, that is the best preserved corpsicle of all time at this point. And a couple of other wacko dictators have actually sent their teams to Russia to, like, study. I want this to happen to me. What's the best wow. way? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is, I don't have many funeral wishes, but instead of an open casket, I want to be taxidermied and hung above the ceiling and to do stuff, mm -hmm. like to music. Yeah, that, I think that would that's a memorable funeral. And then you can throw me away afterwards. No one has to keep I, me. I wonder what Putin wants to have done with himself. I mean, uh, besides never die. <laughs> he's working but, on it. You know, yeah, he's a, he's a strong man. They, they like stuff. So, hmm. Yeah, he's going to start a war with God. I don't know, like God. Stalin used to be in there for a long time, and then they took him out, you know, mm -hmm. once they, they realized he was definitely dead and can't hurt anybody anymore, and they took him out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bringing things back to the continental United States 30 years ago, PepsiCo drops their nine-year partnership with Michael Jackson, causing fans to boycott the company. Was anybody yeah. really drinking Pepsi because of Michael Jackson, you silly geese? Uh, he was so huge in the early yeah. 90s. I mean... What uh, could make you people... drink that shit, though? Oh, No, no. His Pepsi commercials were revolutionary. They were I don't really... Them. Oh, they were huge. I mean, I, 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 were I've seen them, I've seen them they, since then. And they I've were huge. Uh, but I just, and yeah, you know I, the one that his hair caught on yeah, fire and I know all probably that. became a drug addict because of it. Yeah, you know, good times. I'm aware of all that, but I just don't remember naturally seeing them. And I absolutely knew who Michael Jackson was. But again, we were a one TV household. I kind of walked away from the television after like three o'clock because there was nothing. You're not watching the Super Bowl, man. Those were yeah. big Did you watch commercials. The Super Bowl. I'll look them up because mm -hmm. I can't. I can't really conjure any in my head at the moment. And you know, mm -hmm. listeners of Laser Times, I have fond memories for commercials. I can sing the whole Juicy Fruit theme song. Uh, and then also <laughs> this week in celebrity news, Michelle Pfeiffer marries David E. Kelly, and they are still together for some reason. I Yay. don't know. I don't know Yay. what he looks like, but she looks amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, he looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. 
He's he's a pretty good looking guy, but I mean, husband. like this guy owned television through so much of the '90s and early 2000s. Doogie Howser, Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, Ally McBeal, uh, Boston Legal, Boston Public. I, I think he's still he's still around on a bunch of the networks yeah. we don't watch. Uh, he's still his influence is still there. Yeah, Jesus, so much the practice of. So I'm, many. I'm looking at Michelle Pfeiffer in 2023, and as we found a new compliment last week ageless 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 you have to say it that way yeah she still looks um ridiculous like it it ain't fair stop hogging all the good genes and uh let's move on to the movies if so we can because there's a lot to talk about this week movies (laughs) of 30 years ago (laughs) uh november 10th to the 16th 1993 first up we have Leslie Sharp, Katrin uh, Cartledge. That can't be yeah, Cartledge yeah, and David Thwillis, uh in Naked. Naked. All right. So this is the best movie of the week that I will not recommend. Oh, uh, in any way, shape, or form. Did anyone else try to watch it? No, no. too okay. much. I'm I'm so bummed because as I was watching it, there was literally a moment of like, well, Jr. just tapped out if he was watching this because. This is a movie about David Thewlis, and this is his big breakout. He won Best Actor at Cannes, and this is when he starts getting all this attention. He plays a very witty, very philosophical loser loner dirtbag um, who is introduced in the movie sexually assaulting someone. And there are three sexual assaults in 30 minutes. Violence. At least one of them starts out consensual, and he turns violent. It is very, very hard to watch. The movie should be called Men Are Shit because it's about, yeah, this interesting philosophical guy. He's got to like leave town and he goes to hide out with an old girlfriend and um, is, it seems like a a smart erudite guy until you start fucking him and then he becomes violent because he actually hates women and well, everybody. At, At the same time, there's a parallel story about the super yuppie who is also raping women and violent and horrible and so you get uh five scenes of sexual violence and it's the problem though it is a really good movie and it was the performances were great i found it very interesting of how these characters are all such pieces of shit and the women around them are so desperate for like love and affection and all these men keep horribly taking advantage of that and treating them as awfully as you can and it really had something to say. It's a, uh, not Mike Vegas. What's his name? Maybe it is Mike Vegas. Whatever. It's like, is very sort of improvised and workshop. The actors really work it out. And it's, uh, it's extraordinarily hard to watch. I thought it was really, really good. It definitely fucking stuck with me, but I am not recommending this to anyone. This is every trigger warning possible. I know. And you know how sometimes they do that list of most fucks in a movie? I'm wondering yeah. if this is most sexual assaults in a Hollywood movie. Ugh. I thought about Googling that, and I didn't like where it was going to no. take me. <laughs> oh. uh, Mr. Skin uh, I'm on several watch lists. Great. Yeah. And also, like, all the marketing for this. Mike Lee. Sorry, not Mike Figgis. The other depressed Mike Lee. Uh, the other depressed Mike. Um, the marketing for this makes it look like it's an erotic thriller, which is just cruel. Like, don't, don't do that. It's No. <laughs> it's about terrible people being absolutely horrible there is not one decent human being i don't think in the whole there's one who's like no there's victims i guess they're okay 
Oh, it's hard to watch. Naked, really good. David Lewis is amazing in it. Stay away. You yeah. should probably stay I'm, away. I'm glad I didn't hear of it back then because that ready. that title, seeing that title at 13 years old, would create the most Barton Fink Simpson situation. Oh boy, it's after oh, nine boy. o'clock on HBO. There's a movie called Naked. Let's get ready. No, no. So what? What I was hotly anticipating is the next film, which I saw in theaters, and is really the only time me and my friend Scott, dude, I can't wait. It comes out this week, dude. There's a Mr. Bill short in front of it. We're gonna go see it. It's gonna be awesome. We were the only two people in theaters on opening night. Uh, Good. Why? Ron James, Linda Cash, Jim Varney in Ernest Rides Again. It's a sad story of him being cast out of the media landscape and making going super independent along with Mr. Bill, which I think this generation does not associate him with Saturday Night Live, but that dude has been making Mr. Bill shorts without Lorne Michaels for years. Ernest, Ernest Heyday belongs to... That history belongs to Disney because that's why those movies became juggernauts. They were distributed and released and paid for by Disney. This is the most micro-budgeted movie I've ever seen on a screen before. And Ernest is after a what? A historical canon. (laughs) <laughs> there, there's there's no there's not even like a jail set there is this is a micro budgeted movie and he it's just that he didn't do any all those movies made a shitload of money for disney with no cost investment whatsoever i think they just were tired of investing in a character and product they didn't own at the end of the day yeah and so this yeah. is i thought this was direct to vhs but this is no. the last theatrical artist yeah. movie yeah yeah. It's a very solid memory. We were also like, well, this isn't very good. <laughs> like, I, I didn't think a budget would matter to Jim Varney. I've seen that man pull off magic just looking at a camera. Vern, did you know 7-Up refreshes and Sue? <laughs> like, <laughs> seen that man get away so, with anything. I did watch this movie, and it made me, like, question my memory of liking other Ernest movies. <laughs> I, it... It did that at the time, and we were watching Goes to Jail and uh, Scared Stupid like every other week. So it's, yeah, it it does, it it was sad to look upon because the next couple movies go straight to VHS. I'm kind of grown out of that. For our 302010 listeners, you benefit from this because I have never seen this happen before. Can you watch this movie? It's owned by an obscure company and half owned by a dairy, dairy plant. It is streaming free on Peacock, Roku, Voodoo, Tubi, Redbox, Crackle, Popcorn Flicks, Pluto, Film Rise, and Free V. It is literally free anywhere they show free movies. Damn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I'm just picturing the guy who owns the rights going to all those free John Cherry and going $10. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Dollars. Just give me a month subscription. <laughs> I'll give you Ernest Rides again. $10 and... You validate my parking. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be John Cherry, author of Keeper of the Clown, co-owner of the Ernest yeah. character. Uh, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to watch Ernest Saves Christmas this Christmas. Mm-hmm. Great movie. And if that doesn't hold up with my memories of it, or even if it's just not enjoyable, I think I'm done with Ernest. Well, then if you're putting... Jesus Christ, that kind of caveat on it. Yeah. Watch Ernest Goes to Jail. That's the superior version. That's better than Christmas. Yeah, way better. But uh, Christmas is a, is a good Christmas movie from that era where like most Christmas movies from Disney were insipid, and this one at least is 
It has some believable ragtag Florida-based heart. Oh, all shot in the Orlando area. Very near and dear to me. Uh, the next film I remember hating. Um, Queen Latifah, Bradley Whitford, Nicole Kidman, and Michael Keaton in the movie My Life about a man. I, I, what? I believe that's pronounced My Life. My Life. Uh, uh, about a man dying of cancer slowly. And just... it It just on this list reminded me of the melodrama that's kind of not really a subgenre of film that goes to theaters anymore. And this is just sad porn. And, and it's just, it's not, I, I remember I watched it. I taped it off the VHS rental, watched it again. And like, this is totally not enjoyable, <laughs> totally not yeah. enjoyable. I think it's, a, it, I'm kind of bummed because it's, it's, I believe, written and directed by Bruce Joel Rubin, who wrote Ghost and Jacob's Ladder mm. in the same year. Wow. And those movies are cool. And this is like, it is, uh, it's, yes, it's a weepy because yeah, he's dying, but, you know, Nicole Kidman's about to have their first baby. And so he's like filming himself, teaching his kid to shave and teaching him how to do the, and, you know, all the things that he's going to miss. Very modern. Oh, it's very, sad. <laughs> very, very. I've, I've thought about doing this a couple of times. You know, yeah. I've gone under some surgery where my odds are perfectly good, but it was still a bit like, yeah, I'm still going to record a like 15 minute message in case the odds aren't in my favor. But and, if I was ever like faced with, yeah, you're going to die, I'd probably do something. So like think this. about doing that. And now imagine yourself watching the average YouTube tutorial. Holy shit, get to the fucking point, man. I'm fast-forwarding this. That would be your kids <laughs> and you. So <laughs> write it down. <laughs> Let them control F. <laughs> uh, an, a movie I can't tell if I like anymore, but it is it, it is interesting. It's interesting. It is flawed. Yeah. It, I rewatched it, and I'm glad I did. It's most interesting that the some of the talents behind Scarface went together to tell what very well could be a sequel story to Scarface had Tony Montana lived. What happens after your reign of crime and then you are introduced back into society? I think this is the first time I can say I saw Viggo Mortensen, the first time I saw Luis Guzman, the first, not the first time I saw John Leguizamo, but the first time I quoted him. Penelope Ann Miller, Sean Penn, and Al Pacino at his most Pacino-iest, uh, Carlito's Way. Trapped him in a world of violence. Do what you gotta do to survive. Now he has a reason to find a way out. The dream. I'm no closer by itself. We gotta run after it now. I had a dream, but now I'm awake. I gotta do this one thing, and then I'm out. Academy Award winner Al Pacino, Sean Penn, Penelope Ann Miller. You said you would break my heart, Charlie. Carlito's Way, Richard R. Carlito's Way. Uh, Carlito's Way. Another... Just to get this out there, another thing I taped, and this movie at the time had the most nudity of anything 13-year-old Chris had it. <laughs> so there are two songs, 70s songs, that I associate with getting down to teenage business, and it's because of this movie. Anytime I walk into a bar and someone's playing, to be real, I'm like, are you mocking me by what I used to <laughs> spank it to in Carlito's way? But... uh Oh dear! I mean, having you guys just watched Scarface, like, what did you think about your? Ex if your expectations were Scarface, you will be very disappointed. You'll be very, very disappointed. Yeah, it is amazing. It is almost exactly ten years since uh, De Palma and Pacino made Scarface, wow. and then yeah, here we have 
a, a similar character. I mean, he's a much calmer yeah. person. Yeah. No one is as crazy as Tony Montana. And is the opposite the of, of like, ambitious. Like, I just want to be left alone and retire and get out of this fucking yeah. business. It's kind like of. Easy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This film should be called You Are Who You Hang Out With. Mm. Because <laughs> Carlito says, hey, I want to get out of this. And then he hangs around all the people, all of which keep trying to get him back into the game. Yeah. And he never leaves them. He never just goes, picks up and says, you know what? I'm uh, going to Iowa to uh, clean houses. Nope. He just stays around all the people he who are in this He was going to go rent cars in the Bahamas. Just need that 75 yeah. grand. Yeah, with his stupid, his stupid dream that's probably a con of like, yeah. you just get this much money. <laughs> I thought that for you, the first time, too. You you can meet up with this guy you met in prison and you can work at a car rental place in the Bahamas. What rich okay. person needs 75 grand from you to make you a rich person? Well, that, he's not that better well, he's be a buying relative. a share. <laughs> he's buying a share of a business for 70 grand in 1993. Double it, 140,000. It's the Bahamas. I can absolutely see you buying see a decent share of a business in the Bahamas for $140,000 in today's money. But we see Carlito get $30,000 through crime. Mm-hmm. He, uh, well, he, uh, accidental yes, crime. Yeah. Oh, he's is uh, that, that, that's the going tragedy. along voluntarily to with his friend to go pick up drugs. He is an accessory at that point. I don't know if he was explicit with him that it was going to be drugs. He's like, nah, people just want to see you. Yeah, no, but he told him, I got 30 grand, I got to drop off. Like, yeah, so it's drug associated. Because, I mean, I think the tragedy... picking up drugs, he might not. The tragedy yeah. of this movie is, like you're saying, be careful who you hang out with, but, like, he is very much wanting to be on the way out. The movie, to me, is made by Sean Penn, who was introduced in the movie, I'm like, I don't remember the character being this boring because that's because there's a crazy... He hinges too much of his hope and future on this character he believes is legit, who is slowly... His lawyer character, he's having Tony Montana aspirations, pounding the cocaine and trying to live the most lavish lifestyle possible. And Carlito doesn't really pay attention to that. So he thought he's going legit by operating through his lawyer. His lawyer gets him into all this shit over and over again. So I don't. Yep. I think he's a little more of a tragic character than that because he he aspires to want to go straight to reconnect with his lost love. Okay, mm-hmm. but when he got thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, okay, he stole it from drug dealers, so he has thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. He invested in a nightclub because the guy owns money to the mob. How is that not on some level saying I am getting back into this life? Nightclubs yeah. are kind of skeezy as they are. But Nightclubs where the guy is only taking your money because he owes money to the mob. No, come on. This is the story of recidivism. Like when you get out and want to break straight, there's it's kind of difficult. You know who you know. But I, I, I think. Yeah. I, but I, my point is with 30 grand, he could just walk away from florida go somewhere completely let me new. get half that bahama car rental shares huh i'll work <laughs> see if we'll accept half and you pay him back later yeah but yeah that's the only people he knows to make a living mm-hmm. are uh skeezy people even though he's like oh no i'm out and he seems to be running the club legitimately he's not doesn't seem to be skimming he doesn't seem to be you know dealing drugs out the back or anything or stolen merchandise whatever he's trying to make an honest living he is surrounded by uh, goons, and, there's, and he doesn't seem to realize, hmm, maybe this isn't going to work out for me. Yeah. But with he, the goons, and them keep trying to set me up, too. 
Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, Sean Penn is amazing. This movie, this was a big deal for him because he's, you know, he he's, hasn't had uh, too many hits. Things have been where Obviously, there's tablet stuff. It's messy, yeah. blah, blah. And it's like he finally figured out, oh, you're a character actor this whole time, dummy. Yeah. You're not a leading man. You're a goddamn character actor. And I love that we're talking about this almost exactly 10 years later. He wins an Oscar for more of a character piece. Yeah. For uh, Mystic River. Exactly. Is this like his start as being like, Oh, he he only does one role every three years, but it's amazing. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure. Pretty, pretty it, much, he did this to make the money to finally make the Crossing Guard, his directorial mm -hmm. debut. As a director, he makes seriously the most depressing movies of all time yeah. that are really good. Into the Wild, baby. Because uh, because they're that's the feel good movie. He made. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to the Crossing Guard or the Pledge, holy yeah. shit! Because they're very actor forward and very methody and very. Just, emotional and everything and it's like the, yeah the, the, you, you he decided see... okay let me play this fucking skeezy motherfucker with a jufro yes because so... <laughs> sean penn was kind of a hot shot young actor and this is sort of him saying like i don't i'm not going to be doing that anymore i'm going to yeah. make myself look as un sean penn he has phenomenal hair to this day and hides it mm. with the worst my hair possible uh, that is what he has in this movie. He doesn't look like himself at all. And and oh, even even though I've seen this movie so twenty times, for the reasons I described earlier, I I like my memories weren't solid enough. I, I loved watching his character change. I thought that was mm. way more fascinating than anything Carlito did. And yeah. even though this this would make its it would be sampled on many a rap album at some point. <laughs> Okay, you I'm think reloading. you're big time? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't know if this will stand the test of time as much as something like Scarface did because it's just yeah. tragic uh, to me more yeah. so than. I mean, my my big problem is it's uneven. It's uh, I mean, it's written by David Cap based on two different books. Mm -hmm. uh, David Cap, who just did Jurassic Park. Yep. It it has a lot of voiceover, which I think is papering over some of the problems of mm -hmm. how do we get a character from one place to another pacino can't pick an accent in this yeah <laughs> he sounds like he's still in scent of a woman he's still southern but he's supposed to be new yorkian yeah that's that's still <laughs> one of the funniest things to me that there was like no criticism of an italian playing <laughs> just any latin person he's like i want to do it again <laughs> let me get another latin character yeah. in here and he fought to uh get this book character on screen for a significant amount of time, he mm. wanted to make this uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and as much as I constantly have issues with Brian De Palma as a director, and and then there'll be another movie that pops up and reminds me, oh, right, he does, when he can get out of his own way, he's great. This one, he does not do any, like, Hitchcock ripoff, big things that are super obvious. He just goes steady cam crazy. Yeah loss of these really long takes especially like their people are chasing each other through grand central station and it's just this long long takes the, ca the cameras circling people and then coming back around and then going down the escalator and coming back i was like oh that was cool Snake eyes i mean the fight scene with the drug dealers early on in the film that's mm -hmm. a master class yeah. i mean pacino just sets up this scene where you can tell he knows he's in danger but he cannot let the other guys know that he knows that he's in danger otherwise his plan will be foiled and the direction is just masterful in that and then that scene of him in the uh, bathroom with his gun mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was in like 
okay, nothing's going to be on as many college dorm posters as Scarface. But that, <laughs> that is like a tenth of Scarface was in college dorm posters with that scene. And, it's like and the, that's pretty impressive. It's like an alternate dimension Godfather sequence. I'll run in the bathroom, mm. come out blazing. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. I I, I kind of love this movie. It just didn't like come across as super recommendable. I've seen it so many times. Um, yeah. It was a first watch for me, so I can recommend it wholeheartedly. Cool. I have no nostalgia yeah. for it, and I think it holds up really well. Uh, yeah, I hadn't watched it in 30 years. Decided to give it another try. I'm like, I remember thinking, that yeah, was pretty good. Yeah, it's just one and of I a couple my... dozen movies yeah, I, really good. I had on tape throughout the 90s, so I watched. I gave it a watch quite a bit. Uh, mm. I abandoned this movie in my youth. I was excited to talk to someone like, oh, you're watching Three Musketeers. My, It's a woman. She's like, that was the only thing me and my brother could agree on watching when we had like two tapes. So like you, you're a three, you're a th- Disney's Three Musketeers fan. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh boy. Because this Here is, this go. holds up like, uh, like milk. Rebecca De Mornay, Tim Curry, Chris O'Donnell, Oliver Platt, Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland. It's number one this week because marketing. Disney's The Three Musketeers. When it's three against the world, you need guts. Uh-oh. You need luck. Thank you. You broke my fall perfectly. You need an edge. Their chances may be one in a million. But one chance is all they need. The Three Musketeers, rated PG. Now playing in a... Th- Oh boy, I don't know which version is worse, the Wes Anderson version or this one. I mean, there's still like some fun camp here. Wait, the Paul W. I Paul would Thomas love to Anderson. see a Wes Anderson. Yeah, the Wes Anderson team was weird. <laughs> oh, Paul AI will have to make that one. <sighs> okay, so Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves made a yep. ton of money. That's all this is, and that movie's terrible. That's all uh, this, but with a more colorful palette. But we we got some of the same actors. We got some of the same same. We got the same uh, score by the same guy. It's... So I'd never seen this before, and it looked really fucking stupid. <laughs> and I watched it, and it was pretty stupid. Yeah. And it mangles the story, and yet <laughs> it is also pretty well made. It's swashbuckly. It's really giant sets and big set pieces and a ton of people, and it's like. We don't make movies like this yeah. anymore. It has no. a, it, swashbucklers are a dead genre, and yeah. this is full on with buckling all the swashes you could want. Yeah. Now some of the people are grievously miscast. Yes, like you the three Musketeers. Charlie Sheen as a man of God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. can't you just watch that and totally believe him in that? A, role? a, a French man of God. It never ceases to make me laugh that all these. We got to defend Paris. Like, (laughs) (laughs) okay, I want to throw this out here. Uh, Oliver Platt as Porthos. Yeah. Very close to Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Except for the fact that his friend knocks him out in the one of the weirdest scene in films history. Why did it? Why did Kiefer Sutherland knock him out of the bar and start laughing? Uh, It's a Disney movie. Yeah, this now well, I'll it's, it's that, another question. Is that from the book? Swashbuckling vibe. The swashbuckling vibe yeah. is violence is fun and laughable. Okay. Yeah, I was I was gonna give you the question of is this the live action Disney movie with the most corpses in yeah, it? Yeah, until pirates, yeah. So many it. people get killed in this. Well the three oh my, musketeers was, is an adventure like, book. Yeah, well, it's it's 
But at first it was like, oh, well, you know, I was just laughing like, oh, well, that's an inadvertent death. He just threw a guy off a horse. He could have broke his neck. But then you get to the end of the movie where they have like the big battle at the palace. And like there are corpses ever like all of these guards have been stabbed to death. I mean, three, so many. three Musketeers is a classic today. When it was published, it was, you know, the equivalent of a blockbuster movie. It was just meant to be lighthearted fun. Mm. Uh, Dumas said, uh, history is a hanger on which I hang my tail. He did not give a crap about historical accuracy. He just wanted to tell as big and as adventurous and bombastic of a tale as he could. And I remember back in 1993 reading a review for this film that translated the plot of this as if these were a bunch of gangsters in the inner city in 1993 and how horrified you would be at their actions if it was like, oh, yeah, this one gangster uh, manages to get in a fight with three separate people who he's going to fight to the death with. And then the police show up and they all join up to kill the police. <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's still a... And that's actually from the book. So much of this, not from the, the Duke of Buckingham, who is a major character in all other versions, is mentioned and never seen. And, and the Tim Queen Tim... is in love with her husband and not fucking a foreign adversary which is the point like that is the thing that starts the plot in the book like oh no no gabriel anwar she's sweet we like also you have two actual french actresses in this gabriel anwar and julie delpy who play austrians (laughs) (laughs) and and tim curry who does tim curry who does a rare straight performance which I feel I feel like I don't see him do that often, and he's n- almost never on screen enough. I hate, oh, no, I mean he's he's not eating enough scenery. He is doing beautiful acting with his cape, though. He really yeah. enjoys having a giant red. Cape. How is Oliver Platt the standout from this movie? Unbelievable. Yeah, by by a lot. By a lot. I loved Oliver Platt in this. Everyone else is like, eh, Kiefer's is okay. He's the only one has a personality okay. and is not just acting in a classical thing. And again, a shining example of. Disney trying to make a movie for a certain audience before it owns Star Wars and Marvel. It'll never make this kind of movie again. And so I no. I, I remember not liking it when I saw it in theaters, but it was a new Disney movie. What was I supposed to, what were my sister and I supposed to be taken to? No, uh, did not yeah. like this. And what always makes me laugh, always, is the Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Sting song I sent to you guys. Uh. The silliest, it is the male version of Wilson Phillips' Hold On, the music video. Just a <laughs> bunch of guys rubbing shoulder blades together and smiling and singing at each other. That They'll stand oh, by man. one another. <laughs> I, I'm shocked. It's going to take it months to hit number one, though. That stupid fucking song. Yeah, man. And it's yeah. one of the only reasons I remember this movie, because the song outlasted the film. It was yep. gone from theaters, and that song was still being played everywhere. And song made it to the summer, and... When when, yeah. when you ask why why there's not a lot of money in soundtracks anymore, it's because there's not a lot of eyes on music. And if you pay three megastars to do a song together, it's going to get you airplay and radio play on MTV and every radio station in the country for months promoting your fucking movie. It's worth investing in. And a lot of those avenues don't exist anymore. I don't know what radio numbers are, but where do you watch music videos these days? YouTube by selection, never by never passively. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, so, no, Three Musketeers, ugh, I I constantly stand for the 70s versions. I like those a lot more. But, 
this was I was expecting like to be throwing things at the television. And I ended up being like pleasantly surprised that there was a lot more care in making it than I was expecting. Uh, it's directed by Stephen Herrick, who did Bill and Ted and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad. Of course. Of course. Welcome <laughs> to the Disney fold. Which is I, I surprising, but like, yeah, it's still it's still pretty stupid. Like it is weird that, yes, the Paul W.S. Anderson one that had blimps in it <laughs> was closer to the source material than this. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. If you have to watch a Disney's Three Musketeers movie, make it the one with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, please. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, mm. as as baby's first swashbuckling, I guess you could sure. do worse than this. You could do worse. Yeah. But then why not? Worse. It, 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 I liked it the most when it gave me, like, a classical Errol, Errol Flynn vibe. Mm. Stick them on something like that if that's what your kids want. And trust me, they do not. <laughs> kids do not want that. Um, and then, eh. oh, we got a light TV week. Thank God. Um, but it's a notable one because is it th- really this week that all these people debut yes. on television for the first time? They all make their big television debut at the exact same time. Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Christina Aguilera. Join the cast of Disney Channel series The New Mickey Mouse Club so they can be overshadowed by Ed Begley Jr. The <laughs> Disney yeah. machine is amazing. Yeah. We're going to talk about a television show in the third segment that produced a big star. And here we have like three of the biggest stars of the 1990s music scene yep. all appearing at once on this literal mickey mouse show yep and you like isn't it ironic they were all in the same show together and like there's somebody should do a documentary about the power of disney records and radio disney and how much sway they held in the music industry it is not coincidental that a bunch of people i'm saying this in a non-super negative way groomed by disney ended up becoming mega recording artists they were built to be they were fashioned to be the disney brand (laughs) is about getting people who will be popular with kids Mm -hmm. and they've been doing that for 60 years in live action yeah but you know a lot of bad stories about some of those early kid actors they didn't have they had a rough go but yeah Yeah, i'm not saying they they were all sunshines and kidding i'm saying they're good (laughs) yeah yeah at this this is their skills that they've developed over literal generations yeah yeah, I'm I'm looking at who the cast members on the new Mickey Mouse Club through from '89 through, and Jesus, yeah, they, uh, yeah. but just just the ones being uh, already uh, J.C. Chazay and Carrie Russell are st- uh, still on the show in 1993. Mm-hmm. The new cast members they adding in '93, yeah, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, pretty insane. And two other people. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I should say to to these people, it's it. They clearly are striving to be talented people. It, it, it there is a modicum of talent involved, but they do get an upper leg in the industry by joining as children and being part of the system for a very very long time. And I, I don't know about you, I really kind of love this show, and it's one of the few things that have have completely disappeared that Disney doesn't seem to want to acknowledge. Mr. Rich Kid here. I never had the Disney Channel. Oh, I didn't either. Mm-mm. I didn't either, but I rec- I taped every episode. I had a neighbor at one time that I would go, I would sent to after school. He had it. Um, and, and like in a world where you can't do that on television is showing reruns from the 70s. New kid sketch comedy pre all that 
all you had was the new Mickey Mouse Club. And yes. Yep. No, I literally never watched it. I was not interested. I didn't have Disney Channel. I didn't care. And then later on, I find out like, okay, so they just had like a vat where they were breeding perfect children. Is that it? Like, I don't believe. Well, plucking the best of the bunch. Mm. Yeah, like if you if you know even a little bit about where all the people we just mentioned are born, they're from all over the country. That's true. And they're from Gosling's the Canadian. Exactly. Sorry, yeah, they're from all over North America. Um, so yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, let's move on to games of 1993. T- uh, Thirty years ago, November 10th to the 16th. It's that week. In case you do not know, uh, it is that time where video games. In order to have the best success during the holidays, they come out in first, second week of November. Call of Duty has sat on that date for about 20 years. Uh, but it, as you can see here, it's the window where all these heavy hitters hit, including the one of the few games in this group I would save in a fire. I'll play the commercial for you. Get this. At school, I found this magic lamp, and I wished for Disney's Aladdin for my Sega Genesis. It's like the movie. I got to battle sword slashing thieves and nasty palace guards and ride a flying carpet. And I still have two more wishes. Prove it. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'll just yell, Sega, because you missed it there. After the success of Earthworm Jim, they took some of that talent to like, why can't we make sprites that look like a cartoon? And they got skilled Disney animators to draw those and retrofit those into the form of a video game. Because if you think about it, most video game makers were programmers. They weren't always designers. So you had Mm -hmm. utilitarian characters. No game had looked like Disney's Aladdin. It's the thing that made me sell my Super Nintendo to get a Genesis in addition to all the Sonic the Hedgehog of it all. But uh, Aladdin, and then, you know, in a thousand years of hindsight, the Super Nintendo Capcom version is a way better game. <laughs> but this looks... Really? This, this, this is so li- gorgeous. I mean, that's it. this is the one that had the Disney animators on board, and boy, did they market that in every it's magazine beautiful. they it's, could. I, I, I bought it again recently. Paid real American $20, $20 to buy this again, because I still think it's, it's something magic about it. But... The gameplay is floaty and Western and not good. It is very much like everything bad about the Genesis. But it, it, it's still, it's a hallmark for that system. And one of the things that helped help decide the winner of the console wars, which was going back and forth between Sega and Nintendo 30 years ago. I'm excited because this episode gave me the most, the most ways to highlight video game music, which is something we used to do on our first podcast. Sonic Spinball, a game I loved, is out on the Genesis. And that is the, you had to make a Sonic game every year. This year's entry was, what if pinball? And that's, <laughs> Sonic is the ball. You flip them around, but you can walk around these pinball levels, but your goal is to really play pinball through four short, frustrating levels. What amazes me is it's a Sonic pinball game, mm-hmm. and it's not fast. I mean, yeah. how do you fuck that up? You make He's him the Sonic. ball. You make him the ball. And... This we highlighted because it might have the worst music in all of Genesis history. Diana, I don't know if you were a Genesis fan, but its music was very nope. tinny. Sounded like uh-huh. it was broadcast through a broken speaker inside of an empty metal trash can. The options music in Sonic Spinball are pretty notorious for possibly not being mixed well because it will sound like you're being electrocuted. <laughs> Oh, 
Hallmark oh. Genesis sound. Oh, <laughs> the electricity. That's giving of... me a headache in my <laughs> eyes. Uh, but that wasn't all for Sonic this week, or this not this week, but this window. We're focusing on Sega stuff. Doctor Robotnik's Mean Mean Machine, Poyo Poyo, Sonic themed. It's awful, and I hate it so much. Uh, uh, we also have, but we have on the bright side, Sonic CD for the. This should have been the launch title. Yeah, I mean. For the Sega CD, how do you not open that up with a Sonic game? I don't get it. I mean, the machine... It, games hadn't been operating on annual schedules at that point, but Son, Sonic sort of had. And you're telling me in an annual Sonic game basis, we have to make a brand new one for a brand new system that is bigger and better than all the rest? And it's it's all, it's pretty much there. It's just like, it's time travel conceit just isn't that interesting to me. But I, I do love Sonic CD, and the animated intro... Uh, makes me all Sonic animated intros. I will buy every Sonic game to watch their animated intros. That starts with Sonic CD. I almost bought an animation cell from it. But if you're a Sega CD fan, here's here's an example of how you were getting screwed on game releases. You got Cliffhanger for Sega CD, the first game to get me a YouTube violation because it contains cutscenes from the movie and the score. In addition to an additional level. You get Bram Stoker's Dracula on Sega CD. With our lovely and required bad voice acting. It it was a law. Any Sega CD game, you needed the worst voice actors you could find. 97. Jonathan Harker takes his first brave steps on his long and perilous journey. (laughs) His single purpose is to rid mortal man of this appalling creature. Who is that supposed to be? (laughs) <laughs> the the Dracula guy. That's supposed to be Dracula? He's yeah. Scottish. Yeah. You know, Ugh. because it's a Sega CD voicing. Ah, yes. We got someone from Transylvania, Scotland to come in and do this VO. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, also, Jeopardy and Ground Zero Texas on Sega CD. Ground Zero Texas, tell me everything. Full motion video, uh, you're in El Cadron, Texas, and uh, you're fighting the alien race called the Reticulons. Mm. R- yeah. What? Reticulons. I, yes. I, yeah. Oh. And then... Now, uh, yeah. Jeopardy, though. Jeopardy is like the worst game to translate to video game format, because... Mm-hmm. How do you answer the questions? Do you in remember a way doing it on the NES? Yeah, you had yeah. sixty seconds to type out <laughs> with your cursor. It was pretty awful. It was the only NES game my dad ever bought me, so it was important that we play it together. See, I actually think we're only now with the technology where you can make a fairly faithful Jeopardy game. I mean, all... just have speak into the microphone, true, and have the AI judge your answer. I feel like we're close to that today. And then you could have like the true Jeopardy experience. Well, the solution has been to make it just multiple choice, which which no, that's yeah, that's yeah it is. It very much is because yeah. it, unless it was like ten options, but then it's going to still be hard to read th- through all of them and pick one. <laughs> yeah, uh, playing those versions of Jeopardy, you don't feel like you know anything. You just like the real contestants don't have the luxury of knowing what the answer is not. And the multiple choices always have to have a giveaway. I'm sorry, I'm good at multiple choice stuff, but Jeopardy. Yeah. Ugh. I can't imagine typing that out on something like a Sega CD or, yeah. or an NES or something, because I had Jeopardy for a computer, and that was even a pain in the ass, because mm-hmm. do you know how to spell Champs-Élysées? Because I didn't. <laughs> in 10 seconds, with no no yeah. grammar check. 
Oof. No. Ooh. As long as you have Alex Trebek's ooh, sorry. Ooh, and ooh. sorry. Uh, and then, JR, you're the smart one here. You're going to have to tell me about the book because I ain't heard of it. So, Men at Arms by Terry Pratchett. This ah, is another in his Discworld series. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the second one about the Ankh-Morpork City Watch. Now, Discworld <laughs> is so long of a series that it has series within its series. Mm. And uh, the Night Watch, the City Watch, is the policemen of this fantasy city. And this fantasy city has a thieves' guild which is a literal guild for the thieves. And if you join the guild, you can steal legally, but not against people who buy thieving insurance. So if someone has bought thieving insurance, you can't steal from them. And if anyone does any freelance thieving, the thieves guild will take care of them. Oh, it was just selling protection to those who couldn't go to the cops. Simple as that. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. But this has a number of really amazing Pratchettisms that have stuck with me. Uh, one of them is the Commander Vimes. He's the head of the City Watch. Theory of poverty. Okay. His, his whole point is a poor man will pay 50 cents for a crappy pair of boots that will keep his feet wet and fall apart in six months. The rich man will spend $5 for a great pair of boots that will uh, keep him dry for 10 years. Mm. So at the end of the 10 years, the poor person has spent $10 for crappy boots that entire time, and the rich person has spent $5 for great boots that entire time. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep, yep, yep. I've heard that. I've heard that one before. Yep. Yeah. The the other one is at the very end of the scene. He has a little monologue about how if a bad person is pointing a gun at you, he'll relish the moment and he'll keep talking because he loves having power over you. And he loves that he gets to relish that he's about to kill you. If a good person is pointing a gun at you and wants to kill you because it's for the greater good, they'll just do it right away mm. because they hate the fact that they are going to kill you. I hmm. see. Uh, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the point is, if you ever have a gun in your face, hope it's by a bad person, because that way you've got a chance that they'll monologue. Yes. You can <laughs> always say, look behind you. What's that? And run away. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then music of 1993, uh, November 10th to the 16th. I do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, by Meatloaf is still number one. I should say at this point, everyone was m still mystified of what he wouldn't do for love. And it's I remember in the song, it's right there in the what song. What is it? He tells you. He explains all the different things he won't do and what he will do. But I won't do what? What's the that? And I remember, I remember listening. He gives him options of what the that's are. Listening to the <laughs> radio. Like, no, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Not that one. No. Back in the day when I only had a radio, they teased at like nine o'clock. Coming up at six, we're going to reveal what the that is. And Meatloaf's, I won't do that. Stay right there. And I remember he's like, he means cheat on her. I'm like, no. oh, great. He will not lie to you. <laughs> he will not forget the way you feel right now. He will not forgive myself if we don't go all the way tonight. He will not do it better than I do it with you. He will not stop dreaming of you every night of my life. He will not see that it's time to move on. He will not be screwing around. So all of these are things which Meatloaf will never do. Why doesn't he call the song, I would do anything for love, but I won't do these things? 
because that is very, very confusing. I will not do these seven items, which I shall now list. Yes, Rick Astley was solid of the one thing he wasn't going to give. And (laughs) very, very clear. It stood the test of time. This, everyone will hate you if you put on this song like we did last week. Other new music (laughs) releases include Caddish by Towering Inferno, Sad But True by Tex, Don, and Charlie, Strawberry Ocean, Ships, Forest... What? By the Firemen, a.k.a. Paul McCartney and Youth? What? Yes. Yes, that is a complete sentence, yes. <laughs> Paul McCartney and a, and a guy who goes by the name Youth you. formed a band called The Firemen, and then they put out an album called Strawberry Ocean Ships Forest. Can he team up with someone? That way they can be the two Utes. The two Utes? <gasps> That'd be Ooh. great. Him and his son. Uh, my uh, Queen, uh, Queen, Queen Latifah releases Black Rain because it was one of those people. I knew who she was, but the radio wasn't playing anything by her until this album came out. And that might figure into our clothes. Uh, Deluxe, mm-hmm. the debut album of Better Than Ezra, the superior version to Ezra. Uh, why am I still th- making a joke like that's going to be funny 30 years later? Jesus. <laughs> De- uh, Desire walks on, walks on by Heart, Hand on the Torch uh, by Us Three, One Thing by Michael Bolton. Shock of the Hour by MC Ren and Bastards by Motorhead. We will close out this segment with Queen Latifah with U-N-I-T-Y. That's unity. Uh, And (laughs) when we get back, I think we have to talk about one of my co-hosts' favorite movies that I cannot get them to stop referencing and talking about its greatness. So please get ready to endure this when we get back. (laughs) Who you calling a bitch? Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo's naked for, like, no I, reason, and I totally forgot I about that. I had forgotten all about that because yeah. th- that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I yes. was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of there, in between Animal yeah, House. Two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Hmm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined, like Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like we have some DNA of people who yeah. work the National Lampoon magazine. Mm-hmm. And now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now well, it's kind it, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, weird. The company doesn't exist and they sold the I name. Think- to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe. And they just, they'll affix the National Lampoon's, I guess the R is for the the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty Hmm. fucking edgy for for its time. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on patreon.com slash laser time.
coming into 2003 with Toxic by Britney Spears off of In the Zone. I don't want to make any harsh stances here, but for my money, this is the best Britney Spears song ever. I love it. This song is amazing. See, look what happens 10 years after New Mickey Mouse Club. She's yeah. on her fourth album, <laughs> selling 3 million copies. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't have a true appreciation for it if I've never told that story. I'd never gone to Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. I'd been to Universal, kind of a Disney guy. Universal's a little lame. Trust me, come to Halloween Horror Nights, pay an extra 70 bucks at the time. Hmm. You'll get to jump the line for all the rides. Like, I don't know, and I just walk over the threshold, and a guy on stilts blows a drink in my face, and a zombie nurse offers me shots while Britney Spears' Toxic is playing. I'm like, I want to live here. I want to. (laughs) This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. But it's not just about Britney this week. 20 years ago, 2003, November 10th to the 16th, other new music releases include self-titled by Kid Rock, baby. We got a Kid Rock album out. 2003 after all Soul O by Nick Lachey oh checking all my boxes uh, Train of Thought by Dream Theater Try This by Pink Body Language by Kylie Minogue Beg for Mercy the debut of G Unit Folklore by Nelly Furtado and wow the Black Album by Jay Z which is on Rolling Stone's greatest 500 albums list Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is still number one mm. working still I think this is longer than Crazy in Love and yeah, I forgot this a song much better existed. song Someone else read the news because I have to get rid of these hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> so there were four horrible suicide bombings in Istanbul and they killed like 55 people and it was Al-Qaeda's fault. Mm. Yeah, it fucking sucked. Is it the time where uh, Bush went over to the UK to visit with Tony Blair? And that's timely for one of these movies. But uh, yeah, they also tar- they targeted uh, the British consulate, uh, two synagogues and a bank. Um, with fucking truck bombs, and they killed just a goddamn ton of people, and we've kind of forgotten about this. I'm sure they haven't in Istanbul, but it was well, just sort of like, oh yeah, Al-Qaeda, they did other things too? Question mark? I think you're underestimating the idea that 90% of what I know about Istanbul is from They Might Be Giant songs, so if they don't tell me, I'll never know. Shame. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're thinking of Constantinople. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to movies, because this is one of the biggest weeks 2003 has ever had and it's oddly Uh, enough in mid-november the thing i love the most is that elf a movie i don't know that ever anybody had a lot writing on especially releasing it up against the last matrix movie it moves up to number one and all of these movies are faced with a problem of elf they are wildly overshadowed by elf Elf trounces everything released this week yeah elf sticks in at number one yeah at least uh well this week and then we get unfortunately we have a terrible movie next week knocks it off but elf stays in the top 10 for so long so at least the end of the well year. through christmas and yeah. um a lot of cl- christmas movies you know they take time to build up their following this seemed yeah. hugely popular the year it was released yeah <laughs> it's crazy first up uh oh, fuck. here uh, we go again gus van sant john robinson eric Dolan, and alex frosten effalent it's elephant the what would you classify this? The not quite Columbine movie? The not yeah. quite Columbine movie. Yeah. Again, another movie where it's like, well, this was hard to watch. Mm. This one I'm not going to recommend, uh, even though it did win the Palm d'Or at Cannes. It's, not very, it's not very good. It's really boring. But because, it, I mean, it should be called Teenagers Walking because yeah. the idea is that it is, you know, 
following a bunch of people around a high school, just doing normal high school stuff. And it's just really boring and really bland. And then you find out, well, there's a school shooting is going to happen later in this day. And so really, we're just seeing the banal, yeah. boring things everyone was doing right before they fucking died. It's It seems like a video game that really wants you to feel the Columbine, experience. not for thrills, but to make you feel horrible because it was a horrible thing. I just don't yeah. think the medium of, but it's, and it's also like a very 2003 statement on that, that doesn't mm. judge one way or the other. To me, I find it totally unsatisfying and far less, but I, I at the time, I think I, I was more accepting of something this experimental, but now it's just like, there is so much more we can say about these school shootings than just well, this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, it's, it's interesting as an idea of yeah, like, yeah, what all these th people are just, boring. and it's like, I alternated between just being bored out of my mind because it really is just like, this is a five minute shot of a teenager walking from the field mm -hmm. through the gym to the office. And then he says something like, oh, Hey, we're going to see you later. Okay. Bye. But also feeling this tension because I know what this movie is yep. about. It, and I, I, I'm not recommend it. It is an, exp an interesting expression of trauma. Which is yeah. think we we all went through after Columbine, but it just not it wasn't an, that interesting a film then, and it's really not now. Yeah, and also, I mean, it was criticized a bunch of the time of like, yeah, they don't get into why these kids did this, yeah, really. Is... Which that's fine. I actually don't have a problem with that if it's about the victims and not the well, perpetrators. Focus I, on I the innocence lost rather than preventative yeah. measures. Yeah, and but then it is also interesting watching it 20 years later and seeing, like, as the school shooting goes down, no one knows what to do yep. because we weren't used to this yet. And now we're fucking used to it. And that is horrible that they just stand there kind of dumbfounded while a kid walks by with a gun shooting at people instead of, like, now they know the whole run, hide, fight thing. Like, you know, we've, we've taught kids better than we've taught adults, the, you know, what to do if in an emergency like this. Yeah, it's a hard watch, but also because it's very slow and nothing really happens. Mm -hmm. And then till the horrible things happen, and then it's hard to watch for a different reason. Yeah. Eh. Not yeah, recommend. Yeah. I can say that no. <laughs> pretty firmly on my end. I know. Um, no. I, I did not see, of all the movies this week, Tupac Resurrection. Because oh. similar to Van Sant, I went to the theaters to see all those stupid fucking Kurt Cobain documentaries, and they're morbid and awful, and I felt horrible about my... I just, I just stopped seeing shit like this. I, oh, but is this the one that's a, about the conspiracy, or am I no, incorrect here? No, it's kind of about his whole life. Okay. So if it's the two, if a Tupac documentary, that's... Hey, who doesn't want to see that? Of Tupac documentaries, I've heard this is probably the best mm, okay. because it's more about the person and it's based on recordings of him talking about his past and his life and who he is as a person. Like, yeah, I would thank you. That's much better than talking about East Coast, West Coast or the beefs or what's Suge Knight up to right now. It's like, yeah, let's talk about him as a person. Yeah. Okay. And it, I mean, do you see that? It was sort of a blip in the news. It was just like the police know who killed Tupac, but he's dead. Yes. I, I didn't know that until like a couple of weeks ago. Like, but he, he have a really good. Well, there is a guy who says he was in the car and I think yes. they have some sort of evidence that he was in the car. Yep. And he's being charged. He's <laughs> being charged now. Yeah. yeah. But the, the shooter is the shooter is actually dead. What a great way to lead into this glorious. Film. <laughs> oh, um, my God. I'm so disappointed by this movie. You guys. What? Why? <laughs> Well, we can get into it. Joan Cusack, Timothy Dalton, Heather Locklear, Steve Martin, Jenna Elfman, Brendan Fraser, and 
the greatest cinema stars of all time, the Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, back in action, yes. Think you know the Looney Tunes? What's up, Doc? Think again. Death never misses a cue. The Tunes have returned. So did you miss me? And they've brought friends. Brendan Fraser, Jenna Elfman, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Welcome to my world. And Steve Martin as the evil head of the Acme Corporation. I know I'm hot. Looney Tunes back in action. It's all woohoo, yuck, yuck, and then bam, wham, blam. Starts Friday, November 14th. Um, I'm going to cut him out, mm-hmm. guns blazing. Uh-oh. This is better than Space Jam. Well, yeah. Very yeah. much. I don't especially care for Space Jam. And, yeah, me either. Uh, yeah, there is there is more here to work with. There are some really good parts to this movie. I have, and there I are have... some parts I I never thought I would hate Steve Martin in a movie like this. Yeah, that, that character. <laughs> he feels so miscast. Yeah. What is? What are you doing, Steve? I think it was a, we can't lose. We have the funniest guy in the world 10 years ago. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, whatever. But Steve Martin is like, you've never seen him go so hard for so little. And there are some moments in there, but like, hey man, we already have cartoons here. You don't need to, you don't need to move like this. May I point you to Robert De Niro's performance in the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie? This does bear a lot of similarities to that in that yes. there there are times where it is clicking and you want the whole movie to be like this and then it stops and then it's like, no, go back to what are you why are you doing this to me now? Well, what are I, you doing? This you had it. Why did you do what no, stop, go back. I, I have softened on my opinions of Space Jam because I can find I used to hate it and now I found as a giant Looney Tunes fan because those characters get glorified cameos in what is essentially a Michael Jordan movie. And it's about him finding his love of basketball again and not about the Looney Tunes. Mm. This is not quite that, but it's handled by someone who genuinely loves the Looney Tunes. I love hearing Joe Dante talk about his movies. If you don't know, he doesn't talk about this even now. He doesn't like to talk about this because it was such a, he he, he said he didn't have a good time. Didn't really want to do it, but like he, idolizes chuck jones and like i'm probably better off doing it than whoever did space jam because chuck jones pretty notoriously did not like that fucking movie and because it wasn't a looney tunes movie this is a looney tunes movie and as someone who has on numerous occasions gone to a crowded theater in the 2000s 2010s and watched and then in the 2020s programmed feature-length looney tunes it's weird. It can be exhausting. They're not really meant to be enjoyed by that unless you're a psychotic fan. They don't have decent plot structure. There's very simple things that need to get gags going. And that's what this movie is, essentially. It's a gag fest. It's it's yeah. a gag fest. And no story can really sustain what the Looney Tunes do best. And they are, once again, kind of incidental to their own movie. <laughs> yeah. I would argue this is kind of a Brendan Fraser movie. Yeah. With a lot of Daffy Duck in it. And how do you think he acted against the tunes? Um, uh, I don't know. Tennis ball on a stick? Maybe. I mean, but I'm sorry. Bob Hoskins already yeah. nailed this. He, that man needs a retroactive Oscar because I keep watching people acting against tunes. And I'm like, Bob nailed that so well. well. His, his job yeah. was to remain as human as possible against these Looney Tunes, whereas Brendan Fraser kind of blurs the line sort of becoming the cartoon character and to his credit he wanted to play the tasmanian devil and does a great job uh in vo (laughs) 
he does a fantastic job. Yeah, it, it, this is, I mean, the the plot is such a non really Looney Tunes plot, and that's like Daffy gets fired, and also the the head of Acme is going to steal a mind controlled diamond, and mm-hmm. so they have to, you know, it's it's sort of a spy movie, which that was an original idea that it was going to be Jackie a Chan. Looney Tunes spy movie with Jackie Chan. <laughs> spy which, Jam, that was the working title. Fuck yeah! But, Do you know the other movie that part of me kind of wishes they would have made oh i Mm -hmm. I did race jam right with jeff gordon who gets to be in the movie anyway (laughs) yeah yes that was but uh, that's the 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 weird weird fucking story of warner brothers and these characters warner brothers abandoned these characters and animation theatrical animation in the 60s they would Mm -hmm hire like for hire work to frizz freely and chuck jones working at their own studios to do occasional things with those characters but if you the warner brothers logo i think to our generation we kind of think of animation partially thanks to tiny tunes and animaniacs and stuff like that but they haven't been very good to the medium theatrically and all but iron giant in space jam is about all that studio has theatrically to show that they ever existed oh this is also Far superior to the Space Jam sequel, which I just took yeah. a little bit of delight in. Like, I told you the original was horrible. That yeah. <laughs> the, the, this is the last feature film with Looney Tunes in it for 20 years till Space, the second Space Jam. I, it just kind of blows my mind that they didn't try something else. Yeah, I mean, I guess Coyote and Roadrunner, they kicked around for a while. And, and they, they like, made some stellar animation on HBO Max and some theatrical animation. Here's the thing. I will not call this a great movie, but it is enjoyable for the reasons I like the Looney Tunes where Space Jam doesn't have those moments. It is interesting to see how all the Looney Tunes kind of get a moment to do what they do, and the movie is pretty much about them, and they have moments to shine in ways that I think are important. A lot of the stuff in this movie is real big boomer. If you're Joe Dante, you're going to look... Is that Roger Corman directing a Batman movie? Is that a Metalunin? Is that Kevin Connolly in black and white holding his pod from Invasion of the Body Snatchers? It's amazing. Okay. This is that that is one thing I wanted to shout out rewatching this. I'd totally forgotten. It's like when they let Joe Dante be Joe Dante, the whole sequence in Area 52. Amazing. Where they have all these aliens trapped in giant mason jars with holes punched in the top <laughs> and yeah we got robot monster we got brain from planet planet arrow so we got the uh this island earth aliens like joe dante is having a fucking field day he is such a dork for that sort of stuff and yeah roger corman showing up as a director and the only line he has is like how much money do you know how much money that costs <laughs> i was so happy joe dante's former what would you call it uh former boss boss man. he's a protege of roger and, corman <laughs> Him and James Cameron and Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. And Ron Howard and, uh, and Ron ha- Peter yeah. Bogdanovich. That's- it just goes on and on. Roger Corman. Yeah. In, in the last 20 years, I think Joe, Joe Dante's been trying to make a Roger Corman movie. But I've listened to his podcast. People have asked him about this movie specifically. And I think he's just like, I don't want to talk about it. So the quotes he has yeah. are fascinating just because he's like, uh, I, I, I love that. People a little older than us might remember Looney Tunes did have movies from the 60s to the 90s, but they were those repackaged films mm-hmm. where they'd shoot inter- awful yep. sub TV quackbusters, a yep. fantasy yeah. island. I had the Looney, Looney, Looney Bugs Bunny movie on tape and watched it all the time, but they would they were there to stitch together the old 1940s, uh, 50s Superior shorts. Superior cartoons. Yes. You know. mm-hmm. And those did really well. 
And he, but the Looney Tunes creators didn't like them. Joe Dante didn't like them. He didn't do this because he thought he could do a great job. But if you like Gremlins 2, it's a lot like Gremlins 2. It is a, ser- a story to deliver a series of gags. When things get serious and plot-based and uh, exposition, there's they usually throw a joke in to stop it immediately. But he also said these characters were taken very seriously by the merchandising people. And I just kind of memorized his quote. I was working against every day people who wouldn't walk across the street to see whatever movie we made. And it was a nightmare and I lost a year and a half of my life. And it's still better than Space Jam <laughs> and yeah. worth worth seeing because there are still no profoundly fun moments. This. Space Jam gets merchandised <laughs> up the waz ass. This film, <laughs> no. That's no. I, I didn't. No. I, again, I, I, I don't. Still, this is forgotten. Yeah. It, no one talks right. about this. There's no lasting cultural impact of this at all. Yeah. And it's it's a shame because there are some as much as the movie does not hold together. There's some really good sequences where they're yeah. running in the different paintings in the Louvre is a fantastic yeah. Looney Tunes type bit. And also another thing I've forgotten about this besides being the last movie of Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. an absolute <laughs> film music legend. Land of the Apes. Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> go all the way back past that. But this looks so expensive. I kept thinking about, yeah. JR, what you said about the Scooby-Doo movie and being like, this mm-hmm. is the last time we get these giant sets for no fucking reason. This movie looks so expensive. Yep. They're filming in Las Vegas. They're filming, you know, in downtown Vegas. With They're having a big car sequence. They built a temple for like half a scene that doesn't even fucking matter. There's a whole casino set with dancing Yosemite Sam's for some reason. That is it, insane. It, like. God, there are so many practical effects. You know, just even Wiley e. Coyote looking out binoculars and the real binoculars, but he's animated. That's, and that's doing that. Another that's thing. Sort of, it's like, this is so expensive. A spiritual sequel more to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because I. Yeah. I, I like, there is, there is so much money put into Roger Rabbit. It is the high point of traditional animation, right before computers become involved and hand drawn. And there's something really special in the design and the movement of these characters in and of themselves. I think it's the most work put into them ever. Mm. And I, I, I am excited. If you didn't see, they announced the new Looney Tunes team. There will be another Looney Tunes theatrical movie with the best title of all time, The Day the World Blew Up. And <laughs> and, and it will be all animation. And I can't wait to see that because... A lot of that new Looney Tunes stuff has been really good and buried on mm. HBO Max, but or Max or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I know. It's just I was so I was so disappointed because there's there's such so good stuff hiding here in back in action, but it just it, it just doesn't hold together, and that made me sad. Also, I was hoping it would be a little more Roger Rabbity and bring mm. in other characters, but the only non Looney Tunes characters show up: Shaggy and Scooby. But it is for a funny bit. I don't know that Matthew Lillard. <laughs> talked to Casey Kasem in an on-screen moment as both Shaggies collide. Any other yeah, place. Just, to... That was great. Yeah, for just one moment of them sitting in the, the studio cafeteria and yeah. Shaggy yelling at Matthew Lillard, I don't talk like that. Why would you do that to me? And there's a scene in that <laughs> exact same cafeteria where Porky Pig is talking to Speedia Gonzalez, complaining that they don't want to use him anymore because of his stutter, and Speedy says, yeah, political correctness. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was 20 years ago. Yeah. I know. If they just if they'd gone more in that Roger Rabbit direction, I think that, that would have helped. Too, the but... reason they couldn't, allegedly, yeah. no one in a position of authority has ever confirmed this, is that Warner Brothers let the Looney Tunes be in Roger Rabbit. And there was a handshake deal that 
Five grand. Someday, and this day may never come, <laughs> we do this favor for you, and you let your cartoons be in our show. And That's by you the get time to... of Space Jam, whole new crew at Disney, no one was willing to honor that handshake contract. They were like, we're not going to let the mouse be in your Space Jam thing. And it was like, okay, it, it no... Is... A collaboration from here until the end of time. Then Looney Tunes characters have appeared with Disney characters, but never of the Mickey and Donald variety ever again. And this would mm-hmm. have been a, the ideal place to do it. And it's a shame that didn't happen. But I still think it's a profoundly fun movie for movie nerds and animation fans. It's just you got to be a little older, even older than me, because like, holy shit, he got Dick Miller in this, too. Sweet. Well, <laughs> I mean, Dante bring Dick Miller in for anything. And same with those two twins. He was so old. Were, He's so old. The, the two twins that are in Gremlins 2, they're also in uh, Terminator 2. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's got and oh man, and like the boardroom was just fully guys like Ron Perlman's there for half a second. What the hell? Yes, <laughs> like it, yeah. and that the whole Mary movie Warnoff? the whole movie is about <laughs> how you can't make a, a Looney Tunes movie because the studio will interfere. Well, it, it's <laughs> prophetic, and it's in terms of putting amazing shit on screen that you can't believe someone went to the effort to make this in real life and and also animate things around it. You have to see this. I won't call it a good story. I don't even remember most of it, but I do occasionally, you know, drunken lullabies, throw this movie on, and I'm thoroughly entertained. It makes me giggle all the time. And I, I if you haven't seen it and you care about any of that shit, please check out uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Mild recommend even? Come on, fellas. Oh, barely recommending. Very mild. You guys suck. Yeah, um, it has a like, lot of problems. Minnesotan spice level of mild recommend. Jesus Christ. Okay, well then, let's see what you think of this uh, Beyond Reproach classic. Look at this cast. Rowan Atkinson, Joanna Page, Martin Freeman, Rodrigo Santoro, Laura Linney, Billy Nye, Colin Firth, Andrew Lincoln. Uh, She would tell Edge of Four, Keira Knightley, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, and Hugh Grant in Love Actually. This Christmas, whoever you are. Best shag you ever had. Britney Spears. No, I ain't kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. Whatever you're doing. You know me, I'm really shy about this sort of thing. Whew. You'll find that love actually is all around. Excuse me for one second. <laughs> From the makers of Bridget Jones's Diary and Notting Hill comes the ultimate romantic comedy. You this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy minx. Love Actually. Love Actually. With a... I love remembering this a really hard r if it wasn't this wasn't made by mostly brits there is some of the most unnecessary nudity in this film that is i'm i imagine for television is sanitized very well for basic cable oh yeah yeah they they cut it down very cleanly so martin freeman you probably don't even know is in this movie if you've only seen it on basic cable (laughs) he plays a porn person (laughs) it's constantly uh, i had a debate with this i don't think he's a porn person because this is like the most expensive porn set i've ever seen (laughs) so i think he he is a stand-in for a professional high budget british movie that's an erotic thrill oh okay that's what i think is going yeah they're they're body doubles I don't, oh, other I don't know. bigger stars but yeah all they're doing is, is make fucking the entire movie <laughs> but um, their relationship is so sweet it's actually it one is. of the most mature and well-developed relationships in this film <laughs> because they relate to each other as people even though their sole interactions is fake fucking and they have this very lovely getting to know you conversation it's it's just adorable and yeah i gotta say i think this is my 
favorite love is nice film mm. of all time. <laughs> like I mean, that's it. There's a lot for it. They are trying to say they're trying to say love is nice. I agree with them. Love is nice, and and you do a good job of making me think love is nice. And Christmas, job, and movie. Christmas makes you realize how important love is a little more. And I hate that that statement came out of my mouth because I, I grew up. I saw this in theaters and with my girlfriend. Like oh, that was fun. And when it came to DVD, I watched it fifty t- times a day in our cableless house during Christmas. Her and her roommate would never not put this on to the <laughs> point where I grew to hate it. And I found out a few years ago. I've seen this movie a lot. I really do like watching this during Christmas. There's plenty of things you can point out. This is dumb. Relationships don't work like this. Holy God, holy shit, that guy with uh, cards is a psycho. Fucking how dare you rip off the reunion sequence and steal Boogie Nights montage music for the exact same scene. I've <laughs> softened on all that. It's not like there's just so few bona fide Christmas classics made in my lifetime. I can't hate the movie anymore. I can't. I can't fault this yeah. movie anymore. I know this. This movie has like evil magical powers. Yeah. Where, yeah, I've seen it. It's fine. I mean, everyone listening has probably seen it more than me because, again, not a Christmas person. And I remember, I think I was visiting my folks, and this was on TV. And my dad was watching it, and I had a bunch of things to do. And I would come into the room, and it would stop me, and I would watch it to the next commercial, and be like, "Okay, okay, but I'm there gonna do." Go. And then I'd come back, and it kept, it kept. I'd try to get out, and it would bring me. Pull me back in because everyone in it is so pleasant and likable. You know, and love is nice, except when it's sad, but it's going to be okay because love is nice. You know, you know, because I can't stop myself. First of all, it's you do get a general vibe like all these people are here as kind of a favor and for less money than they're worth to make this cute little thing that everyone will enjoy. The Looney Tunes movies is a series of gags. This is like watching every romantic comedy and the best scene from that romantic comedy. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. That was actually what my, my general argument is like, why does this movie work? Because it's all romantic comedies. It is. Everything that you can think of that was in a romantic comedy. This is, yeah, it's like the good parts version. Yeah. No- it's even a bromance. That's yep. how yes. much this movie is. It tells a lovely bromance story. Yep. And there, there was actually a, a brief uh, queer romance that ended up being cut, and Richard Curtis has apologized because mm. it was like two scenes of finding out, like, oh, this lady has a girlfriend, but her girlfriend is then sick. That's sad. Why not restore it now and make some more money <laughs> off this thing that gets fleeced every Christmas? What are you doing? What yeah, are you doing? But I know it's, it's like, yeah, I have, <laughs> I, I have like logical arguments against pretty much every story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The father's relationship with his son is a excellent examination of parental love. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. father is going through immense grief and he puts it aside to do what is best for his son. And he treats his son's feelings 100% with respect. Yep. And when it's time for them to let out their emotions, they don't put on an action movie. They watch Titanic together. I will say that is the one if you are wanting like a mature emotional relationship in this film, that's it. Interesting. And Everyone I, else you can kind of That is like the it. cutest movie kid I've ever seen and he was totally wasted in Harry Potter. Colin, Justice for Colin. <laughs> He's only in one, but that character is in every book. Yes, he was in what did he grow up to be? He grew up to do stuff. Um shoot. I don't no, know. he wasn't he wasn't on uh, Game of Thrones. That's a different kid I'm thinking of. Maybe. But yeah, this... I know that he grew up to do stuff. I've seen him. It's difficult to even go through that because this cast is ridiculous. But I think it's ridiculous. We can. I think we can say 
the biggest success stories are Andrew Lincoln, who was, I don't think I'd ever heard of before this. Billy Nye, I had heard of, but I, it was one of those actors I never expected to come off of like my girlfriend's lips at the time. He becomes known to ev- the entire country, our entire country after this. Billy Nye is globally famous after this movie because his, 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 his role in the movie, his, what would you call it? His vignette is arguably the most fun. And mm-hmm. yeah, he be- yeah. Well, up there with uh, the the British guy who will take any flight to anywhere in America so he can score with chicks because he has an accent yeah. and ends up in what Milwaukee, yeah. <laughs> and it fucking works. He gets with January <laughs> Jones and Elisha Cuthbert. <laughs> there are so many people. You watch this and you're like, oh, oh, it's them, it's them, it's them. Uh, but yeah, I think this is the performance from almost everyone that's gonna last the longest. Yeah. When this film is 50 years old, Mm -hmm. I can see it being, you know, just part of the rotation. It is my own personal best Christmas movie of the 21st century. Hmm. Can't go there just yet. Okay. But I, I, it just. I know I'm, there are a lot of good arguments for that. Yeah. I would say also to its credits, something will happen. You know, when your brain like remembers a scene, like. On numerous occasions, my brain forming a memory is like, what was that movie where the prime minister fell in love? What was that movie where that kid, the grieving guy, had to talk to his kid? What was that movie where the porn guy fell in love with the other on the porn set? What was that movie where Laura Lenny took her shirt off for no reason? What was that movie with the cards? Oh, yeah, it's all the same fucking movie. It's the same fucking movie. The Sleepless in Seattle moment happens 20 times in Love Actually. And it's pretty incredible. And it, again, it looks like everybody is here is kind of a favor. And and mm-hmm. just just because they know the good vibes, this will eventually sit. So I'm again, I'm softening on Love Actually. I'm happy to watch it once per year, Brianna. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the the big rodeo <laughs> things that yeah. we talked about so, the most. Yeah, off mic. I loved. I said last week this was a Barbenheimer, but it's kind of a three way Barbenheimer with Looney Tunes. But <laughs> uh, yeah. Something for daddy. If you're me. <laughs> One of the most dad movies that ever dadded. Something for da- for daddy. And before before we start talking about it, I'll introduce the movie. I want to tell you how I tried to watch this this week. David Threfall, Mark P- Perksis, James Darcy, Paul Bettany, and of course Russell Crowe. Probably the title didn't do it any favors. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. An attack will ignite a war. Give rise to an army. This is a ship of war. We're not going down. And an ocean will become a battlefield. The hunter becomes the hunted. Ah! Russell Crowe in the movie nominated for 10 Academy Awards. And Master and Commander. For England and for the prize. So my anecdote here before you guys go off on this because I want to tell you my experience. (laughs) I saw this as part of my routine of seeing every movie in the universe that ever came out in 2003. I'm like, oh, I didn't like that as much as I thought, expected to like a Peter Weir movie. Anyway, and I've said that on a... That's some of the most criticism I've ever received just by saying Master and Commander isn't great. It has huge fans. So this year, this show, I'm like, I'm going to rewatch this and I'm only going to rewatch it. I have two friends with PhDs. One of them wrote (laughs) one about naval british vessels and like i call him i text him up can we hang out tonight and like yeah um got the kid it's gonna be weird and like i just want to watch a movie i'm like what movie (laughs) like master and commander he's like "Ooh, that's long i'm like 
what the fuck, man? Who the f- You're the expert here. You wrote a thesis on this. <laughs> Even he said it was long. But I'm happy to say, I don't know which one of you said it, but I went into the movie, because one of you said this, think of this like Star Trek Year One, or, some, or something like yeah. that. Think, mm-hmm. and, this is yeah. the prequel to every good Star Trek episode. Yeah, and, and like thinking it like uncharted territory, like we don't, like, all of a sudden the ocean is a battlefield and this and then you and then you stumble upon the fucking Galapagos like it's an alien planet how do you treat this all right holy shit all right i didn't that that didn't wash over me 20 years ago as a idiotic 20 23 year old but uh i didn't have a good viewing experience sadly i did you guys have trouble watching this it wasn't streaming where i thought it would and uh, the audio kept going out of sync but i cuz i really wanted to see dude they built these ships mm mm-hmm. Oh, this, this is a real ship. I've been meaning to get, there's a book just came out this year about the ship that they, the studio bought this ship, which is an 18th century replica in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And then they had to get a skeleton crew of basically a bunch of high 20 year olds to <laughs> sail it to Rosarita, Mexico for the, to put it next to the Titanic tank there where a they filmed the rest of the movie. full scale ship and it like always fucking shows the the water is digitally enhanced not the ship itself yeah there's actually several ships there's a ship in the tank there's the real ship and there is a weta model that they use for digital stuff yeah it looks great it to this day it looks great it looks great so you guys win floor is yours i just wanted to tell you i came around not like oh i was totally wrong but like i did not give this a fair shake and the very idea that the story goes like this was a Fox executive's passion project. I want to get this series on screen. And so this is based on a series of 21 novels, Mm -hmm. which makes the list of some of the best historical fiction of all time. This movie takes elements from 13 separate novels in that series. (laughs) Okay. But not, not, I read the, was reading reviews and like, Wait, Paul Bettany was a spy, and they left that. They left that out. You can't cover. <laughs> yeah, I know. Twenty-one novels know. in one movie. One novel should be a miniseries, not a movie. But okay, I wish we could get the like eight-season Game of Thrones budget prestige television version of these novels. I think that would be amazing. I would be totally down. But if you're going to condense all twenty-one novels into just one movie, Good this job. is perfect. Mm. This is just like capturing the theme, capturing the age, capturing the characters, capturing the dialogue, because they do not sugarcoat things. If Mm-mm. you hear the topmost main is under battened, well, you're just going to have to roll with that uh, because we're not going to explain shit. Just accept that these characters are operating in a very technical environment I mean, it's, it's, where it's if they mess did... up, they die how you how the same logic Star Trek had to work with. You don't know what a photon torpedo is. You trust they're using it at the right moment and you just kind of let it wash over and you get into it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's one thing that I I love about this movie is if I had to use one word for it, careful. They mm. really take care with everything. They drop you into the situation, but you know, all everything feels very tactile and very real cuz it is. Most of the time it it really is. But the, the movie starts so quietly with coming onto the ship at night while everyone's asleep and just sort of giving you a quick tour of this is where everyone is and then showing it come to life as everyone gets up and they start moving tables around and start moving walls and the cannons and all the cannons have little names, you know, written on them. And we start seeing like, oh, yeah, this 
is a well-oiled machine. And then we start actually meeting the characters and seeing like Russell Crowe's character, Captain Aubrey is like, he's really cares about like duty and following orders. And because there's a reason, but he also like really cares about, he does not spend lives cheaply. Mm. He actually cares as he sends different guys off on, you know, to do a task that's especially dangerous. Like he's watching them and worrying like, Oh no, are you, is he going to be okay? Like it's, and, and having to balance that is kind of a subplot of like, you can't be too friendly with the men because you might have to send them off to die. And they won't respect you for it. If if yeah. they think you're a weakling, well, I don't want to trust my life to a weakling. And as I joked at the beginning of the film, this clip here is a central theme of the movie. Oh, the Which weevil will you choose? I would choose the right-hand weevil. It has significant advantage in both length and breadth. There, I have you. You're completely ditched. Do you not know that in the service, one must always choose the lesser of two weevils? <laughs> <laughs> Weevil is a small bug often found in their hardtack because they're at yeah. sea for a long time. And that's a joke, but they're joking about it because that is their life. These are people who have to decide, well, do I cut this man free from the ship knowing that he will drown to death or do i accept a five percent chance he's going to pull down the entire ship yeah 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 exactly and and you see like I, honestly i have like a super new respect to russell crowe's performance in this like even just that scene right there where it's like if he were mr super captain man he's like no you should choose the lesser of two weevils. <laughs> laugh with me. Laugh with me. But instead, like, he's the way he spits out the punchline because he thinks it's so funny. Oh yeah, it's like yeah, he's like he's a real he's a real guy, and he has to make choices. And his relationship with Paul Bettany, which is so funny, coming after <laughs> a beautiful mind. Okay, I have I friends get mad at me when I start just calling everything in a movie gay, but they are like the best gay couple ever. Okay. Now you can say it's romance. You could just say that they are like the best of bros. And I know there's a subplot in, in the books that Russell Crowe is actually fucking his commanding officer's wife on the side. But yeah, it is. And you could just say, oh, it's the best depiction of friendship. But they are like a married couple. They are 100% married. But to me, the books are also, I haven't read them all. Jeez, uh, I you wish I was a free time millionaire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's my white whale of reading. It's just sometime I'm going to have time in my life when I can sit down and read all 21 of these because I've only read three. But each one of those, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. It puts me in the time. The relationship between those two people in the books is one of the best fictional depictions of a marriage-like friendship you will ever see in fiction a hundred percent i thought it very kirk and bones yeah like, yeah, uh, yeah well exactly okay star trek is literally based on this time period this is the entire theme of star trek they were like well what if the age of sails but in space yeah what if because... we what if we push this vessel out and they'll come hopefully come back and tell us what they see <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yes. what it was based on and these are real people who are like well no one from our civilization has ever landed on these island what are these strange it... creatures and this is the fil first film yeah. in all of film history to get permission to film on the Galapagos Islands. We've it, had documentaries there, but fictional films, it first one. It is visually jarring, because when you realize how little you've seen that, like mm. movie-ass cameras on the Galapagos, like no one films there, and it's yeah, so distinct. see why it's 
the hotbed of evolution. Mm -hmm. Every five feet, you're in a new ecosystem. Yep. It's, yes. it's alien. And, and I, I love that Paul Bettany's character. It's like, I don't know if he actually wants to be a medical doctor. It seems like he wants to be a naturalist. But how, what kind of jobs can you take on the sea that will let you travel mm. at well, this it's time also period? Mm. A time of total war. Uh, yeah. The Napoleonic Wars were as big for their combatants as World War II was for us. Yeah, right. Which is a big a part of the theme of the movie of the like we we have to stop this war is spreading towards the pacific we've got to stop it and yeah i love that they're you know they're a bunch of tough guys but they're on their back foot most of the time this the friendship that's stalking them is just plain better than that and they're like ah shit okay well we have to get inventive how do we deal with they're just fucking better. They have a cloaking device. They're just better than us. <laughs> cloud? <laughs> yeah, they have clouds. <laughs> and the relationship Fog. between Jack and the enemy captain is so perfect because he doesn't hate him. He doesn't think, ah, this is this evil Frenchman who burns babies. It's mm -hmm. no, this is my opponent. And they never, you know, talk across the battlefield at each other, but they have this cat and mouse game that is played toward perfection yep uh and, yeah, and oh gosh you know no. so beautiful i mean this is releasing close to lord of the rings and you know making new zealand look gorgeous is amazing and that was great but to make water and the ocean look this gorgeous in every frame <laughs> every frame should mm -hmm. be like a, a nautical painting like um, you can you can see how it looks like because it i think i'm not sure how much to its detriment but Nobody was greenlighting these types of movies, a giant ship set at sea, and then Pirates comes out four months before you. If if there was an appetite for this, your whistle, your whistle has been wet, and people sort of... It, this wasn't a big bomb or anything. It just wasn't the blockbuster start of a franchise, I think, some that you the studio wanted to, to do. To, I mean, they bought a active sailing ship mm -hmm. uh, to film this movie the, the series um, of movies hopefully because if you look yeah. at like the film logos that come up miramax universal and fox this it took three studios to bring this to this country <laughs> yeah so. yeah so i mean the the legacy of this movie is one of my favorite things somehow or another this became the internet internet film nerds's favorite movie yeah where i was thinking about it you know, it did overall, when you consider marketing, it probably lost a little bit of money. And so over 20 years now, people just sort of being like, hey, you know, it was pretty good. The Master and Commander movie. And mm -hmm. just watching people slowly kind of rediscover it or discover it for the first time and be like, what the fuck? Why, why didn't anyone tell me this movie was great? Why don't we have more movies like this? I mean, personally, I I would trade all of the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels for two more Master and Commanders. 100%. 100%. This Absolutely. is the one that should have been a series <laughs> because there's more to work with. I, I just wish, I, I, this is armchair quarterbacking, but like I think people sort of resent an incoming franchise and that title fucking sucks. Mm. Yeah, they should have just named it Master and Commander. Right. That would have been fine. That would have gotten Even though that's everything. a little boring. Far Side of the World is more interesting, but like somebody need to make okay. a decision and sell this a little harder. Yeah. Because the Oscars I, bought yeah. it. And, and I, I was... I'll, I was there with, uh, and, and I guess next year at, at when my girlfriend worked at that blockbuster, and I even she remarked like, "You didn't like that Master and Commander movie? It is slowly like doing like Born Legacy type of shit, Born Born Identity mm. type of stuff. People are really renting the shit out of this. That that is a good comparison of something like it did okay, people liked it and well enough, and just it really did for a movie with this size of a budget. You can't really call it a cult classic, but mm -hmm. kinda. 
Yeah. Where it just once people find it, they love it. So JR always likes movies where I'm put into a very specific job. Mm. And this puts you in what it was like to work on a sailing ships. And I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, a lot of things where I wish I would have tried that. But after I saw this movie, I was like, maybe I should go work on a sailing ship for a while. Mm. And no. I, no, never this made me it. never want to go on sea, ever. No, this made me want to <laughs> no. be in a hoist sail and uh, hasten the mast and hold fast. Well, check your jib cut, because we all can't do yep. that. And, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, with the, the surgeon is working, and there's so much blood on the floor that they have to pour sand on it so he doesn't that slip. That was awesome. Yeah, that, that looks awesome. fun. Okay. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be traveling back in time, you understand. <laughs> I'm with you, JR. I, I, I'd, I'd still be like on a, an OSHA sailing ship in uh-huh. 2003, but a little darker topic. I think this is the best depiction of child soldiers I have ever seen in film. <laughs> no, it is. Every it's one of true. these child soldiers, I was like, I can believe you are a child soldier. Yes, this is yeah. how I think you would be behaving. Yeah, and it's it's totally unremarked upon. Yeah, there's a bunch of cabin boys. They have, you know, one of their trainees is a lord who's what 10 mm-hmm. and everyone has to still call him you know he's a, he's a lordship and you got to deal with this. i want to yeah, go in the mission this... <laughs> relax yeah, sit down. that's what they did you <laughs> know you ha- especially if you have like a bunch of sons you got to give them careers so yeah and sure the... yeah take my 10 year old out to see oh he lost an arm okay well that'll happen yeah <laughs> It was a harsh age, and this film spares none of that harshness. There's a midshipman who doesn't have a leg except for a peg leg, and he's forced to use his peg leg to do chores, and you see that. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. and I love how these things are just normal. They're just, no one remarks upon this shit. Yeah. It's just, this is how it is, man. What? Yeah, like I said, that attention to detail of just like, yeah, we're just plopping you down in the middle of it. Here it is. I did sure. love Self-surgery. how- Self-surgery. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> I loved how Peter Ware handled the transition. He said he was looking at the series as one 5,000-page-long book. And, <laughs> and to, to adapt that into the movie, I think he did as good a job as any human could ever do. And I think I'm going to try to watch every one of his movies now. I think I've only got like three or four left. But I'm shocked. This he, is his yeah. second-to-last movie. Yeah, yeah me, me too. He uh, he's one of my favorite filmmakers by far. I don't think he's got a bad one in the bunch. Not definitely not that I've seen. I've, I'm also only missing like what Cars Who Ate Paris and a couple other things. But yeah, he he is obviously he takes a lot of time in between movies. You know, it's always three or four years and some just stone cold classics: uh, Gallipoli, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Witness, Dead Poet Society. What all the same guy? Fearless. Green we talked card. about last week. Truman. Fearless. Show. We talked about last week. The Truman Show. Same guy. Yeah. It's it is ridiculous. It's it, yeah. It might have the best career of anyone ever. Yeah. You can see why and, Tarantino wants to cut it after 10 movies. Cause this is what this guy did. Yeah. It's yeah. And he does such a good job. Every like, I don't know what's my only complaint. There isn't a single woman who has a speaking role. <laughs> <laughs> this ship is the woman. I would not want there to be on go. that ship as a woman. Uh, I'm, that would be my least favorite job. Well, I think I'd be prepared for it because there is a, a subplot where everyone becomes a mean girl to the one officer <laughs> and just starts gossiping about him until he goes insane. And it's like, I- I've been to middle school. I can deal with that. You would need a 20, like a 200 pound old timey wool suit made out of mace. 
and <laughs> keep those men at bay. Jesus Christ, why did I? Why did we get the master and commander? I, and and I don't think I've seen at this point Russell Crowe was not as dad like as he is now, and was pretty cool and kind of shrugged off a lot of stuff. But he's like, I'd really like to make another one of these. Like I think yeah. he gave he gave out the studio head's email years later. Like I would make it. <laughs> tell him, tell him I'd make another one of these. I'd like it. I want to be. I want to do this. And it's, yep. it's I, I, it wouldn't. Sh- I don't think they'll make another one with no. Russell Crowe. No. But I, I mean, if they want to reboot this series, I, go for I think it. It's, you it's, got twenty one novels. Come on. I'd say it's money on the table. But even after all this striking stuff, I don't understand how streaming services make money off of series. So no. sounds expensive. We're going to have a culling of streaming services. It's I gonna believe. Going to get uh, crunched <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> yep. All right, let's move on to TV. Two thousand three. Yes, Master Commander, Far Side of the World, something for everyone. My God, you should watch it. I want more movies. Not just that I want more movies like it. I want more movies with that feel. Yeah. That there's yeah. a lot of there's action, there's character, there's excitement, there's thinking stuff. I remember when I walked out of the theater, two ladies next to me didn't understand the ending, and I was like, "Were you not listening when they said that that ship's surgeon died? But we saw the surgeon. I wonder what that means." It's a it's a good non-ending ending where it's like mm-hmm. that French guy is still fucking with him this yeah. whole time. He won't stop fucking with him. Mm. Yeah. And I do want to throw this out here. I did watch it with my 11-year-old son, and he was enraptured from frame one. There was no, like, I'm bored. This is too long. And you were the whole really thing. putting him in, like, college-level movies during this month. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was I was kicking a little my legs a little at 23. Uh, all right, now we have to move on to 2003 television at this point because the show keeps getting longer and longer. November uh, 10th through the 16th, the 4,000th episode of Wheel of Fortune since the 1982 pairing of host and uh, hostess Patsy Jack and Vanna White in broadcast. Because is this like Jeopardy? There was a previous host, but mm-hmm. these solidified as the face of Wheel of Fortune. Okay. I know my grandparents are in the ground smiling through their rotting flesh. They love Chuck their Wheel of Fortune. Chuck Woolery. Yeah. yeah. No kid. Was the, the original host, Chuck Woolery. Chuck Woolery. What? He seems younger than both. That can't be. But uh, yeah, I, I, aren't they both about to retire? Do they speculate if Van is going to stay on if the uh, America's Rose Pat say Jack leaves? <laughs> anyway, also this week, deb- debuting in syndication, Sabrina's Secret Life. B- w- w- what? Cartoon version of the hit Sabrina live action TV show. Unbelievable. I mean, I read a ton of Sabrina. That sitcom was a really boring version of that Sabrina. Because it had a 1990s live action budget. Because it it decided to be a sitcom. There is something in between the spooky Netflix Sabrina and the sitcom Sabrina that I would have liked to see. And uh, I didn't know this existed. (laughs) What I do remember fondly. Oh my God! Do we can we intro it with a clip this episode, or do we need to give it some introduction here? There is a restaurant in Denver <laughs> that <laughs> is world famous solely, I'd say, because of this South Park episode. That is, I for weird. one was desperate to go to this restaurant solely because of the South Park episode when I moved to Denver and. It was closed due to the pandemic, and then it got closed forever. And then the South Park people bought so this restaurant. What we're talking yep. about is the South Park episode Casa Bonita, and I do love things like that. Where it, 
Things have done that before, made local spots hugely famous. These are the stairs the and the exorcist. on Seinfeld uh, was a real guy. Yeah, but this is a cartoon making a real, I think it was a regional chain at one point, Casa Bonita, the Mexican Chuck E. Cheese of the, <laughs> but yeah, a, a, a restaurant with Mexican food, I'm saying with a question mark, because I, I, I read about this recently, like it changed its what it served, but you'd still have bands, diving shows, waterfalls. There were games there. It was huge. And you went there. The food was a secondary priority, the ambiance and everything else. And I did, I thought they made it up for the show, the South Park episode, <laughs> Casa Bonita, that aired 20 years ago. And like JR said, once Trey Parker and Matt Stone became billionaires <laughs> and saw that the rest, this restaurant was going out of business, they swooped in to save it. And so it is being saved. I don't know if a $9 million restaurant will ever make its money back. It'll be interesting to see, but... It- I am on the waiting list to go when it finally reopens, <laughs> and we just got notice that we can make a reservation, so Whoa. we are going to go ASAP. Oh, I wish I was in the, more in the Denver area, but here's Cartman listing off the things uh, that are great about Casa Bonita. Awesome! <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, can I just eat some of your... Thank you, thank you. Oh, gotta get the Blackboard's Cave! Ah, excuse me! Excuse me! Blackboard's Cave! cave. Ah, oh, scary! Look at skeleton! Oh, man, I'm so scared! Ah, ah, oh, that was awesome! Oh, oh cliff divers! <laughs> dancing! Come on! Come on, dive! Dive, asshole! <laughs> oh, awesome! That was cool! There's huh? literal cliff divers at Casa Bonita. That's what sent me on, like, a Google... Like, there's not a lot of careers for diving champs, but <laughs> was, was there in the time when Casa Bonita was built? I, I, there's a lot worse thing billionaires can do with their money. Saving one of your childhood favorite restaurants for others to enjoy is a pretty cool one, if not if a little unnecessary. I think it's adorable. I think it's awesome. I'm happy they did it. Yeah, you're, you can benefit go. immediately from it, so I can understand that. And because it seems yeah, like somebody cool. warped a slice of Epcot into Colorado. And <laughs> that Mexico yeah, area is amazing. It's uh, so weird. I'm just looking at the the episodes of South Park season seven. I realize this might be their best season right mm. here because next week we're going to talk about Joseph Smith. Dum, no, dum, no, no, dum, no. Dum. <laughs> and then a couple weeks after that, it's the Hooters for children. Oh my gosh. Oh, raisins. <laughs> raisins. Oh God. <laughs> and we've already passed Hannifer Lopez. Yeah, they're doing ridiculously uh terrible, disgusting things this season. Good for them. <laughs> and um I I think we were it was demanded uh by people like like Kyle, like we have to mention the show. The Japanese TV show Retro Game Masters or Game Center CX debuts this week and is way ahead of the game of playing old games for modern entertainment a comedic host who suffers through at this point 10 year old game (laughs) 10 to 15 year old (laughs) games i mean there are now millionaires in la who do the exact same thing without any broadcast equipment and these episodes are charming i see i saw them when they localized them they put them on twitch for a little bit uh they they still are fun just a, a dude being tortured by ancient game design i don't know how that goes out of style because that used to be my biggest plight in the world. It's fun to go back there. But yeah, speaking of games, 2003, t- 20 years ago, again, the biggest, one of the biggest releases for 
weeks for games. So Mario Party 5 is what Nintendo has thrown out there. Beat that, everyone. We got a Mario game out. What are you, moronic? You're going to release Crash Nitro Kart up against this? Idiots. And they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they did. But notoriously, this is such a popular date. I don't know if Diana knows this. Ubisoft one year, it was such a coveted date, two franchise, two huge games they released on the same day. They were both 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 games. Who could afford two games released on the same day? Why would you do that? Why would Disney release two of its animated movies on the same day? It's like one of the, notoriously one of the biggest, like, why would you do that? I can't enjoy Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, the best up until maybe the new one, the return of the Prince of Persia for, uh, franchise. I got to talk about this for a moment because this was such an amazing game mm-hmm. when it came out. This made save scumming a central game mechanic. Yeah. And <laughs> oh boy, did that change things because it was like, that's impossible. How will I ever make this jump? I'm going to have to replay the same level for three minutes to get back to the place that keeps killing me. No, I just push the rewind button and I try it again. Because you have the sands of time. Mm-hmm. Be more powerful. Like, I think what was one of the first and best implementations of rewind or time travel, which every game took a stab at after this, but mm-hmm. it was pretty ingenious. I, I, I still am waiting for my rewind Mario game, like uh, a Mario mm. TD platformer where you just make everything super impossible. I mean, but you, you can just rewind. You got badges now. You can do a floaty jump. That saved me through the entire game yeah. of uh, Wonder. But, but Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, jettisoned everything except for the theme from mm-hmm. the original Prince of Persia series. I mean, they like kept almost nothing, and that was the complete right decision. They made a movie make. about this version of prince of persia mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. jordan mechner's version and yeah. and it becomes it for a while it becomes a major video game franchise i hope to see that again because i hear the new one's great and there there's a remaster a remake total remake ground up remake of this coming but they released that up against the same day as beyond good and evil which i think narratively is one of the best games i've ever played it is beautiful it is fun i don't know what's your lead character um it's a woman with Beautiful purple yeah. lips. She's a photographer and saves orphans with her <laughs> farting friend, pig friend. Uh, it's great. <laughs> Your lead character is Friedrich Nietzsche. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it all it has for my money the best race course music I've ever heard. Any chance I get, I will highlight the race course music from Beyond Good and Evil. This is a very game music heavy episode. Don't know the lyrics. <laughs> it's so out of place in the game on purpose. Man, I, if you could make that kind of song on purpose, I love you. But Beyond Good and Evil is great. There's still a, a greenlit sequel hovering out there 10, 12, 20 years in the making now. But uh, beyond, if you haven't played Beyond Good and Evil, I promise you it's an excellent platformer with a great story, thoroughly compelling this many years later and has had enough HD uh, modern polish put on it. It's still for sale and very playable. Can't say the same for Medal of Honor Rising Sun because I have not bothered to try an iterative war game from that many years ago. And why would uh, I? It's really interesting in that it tackles the Pacific theater. A lot of war games from this time were just like completely focused on Europe. Normandy, Normandy, and the Normandy. Pacific theater had such a different type of fighting than mm-hmm. in Europe that it's really nice to see it in game format. 
Well, speaking of uh, water theater, Muppets Party Cruise debuts on <laughs> on, uh, on GameCube, and I highlighted this for friends years ago on a podcast. It's very weird to see CG versions of the Muppets with legs. It's even weirder if you get to the end of this Mario Party s game and you get to hear Kermit rap the immortal song "One Door's Red and the Other's Blue." And of course, I'm going to play you a clip. But the next game is really tough. I'm not too good at too cool, but it may be enough to put me over the edge. My opponent sees six, so I take a deep breath and give the buttons a click. One door's red and the other's blue. When you play the puppets, party cruise. It's all about the game. You <laughs> it's a song about um, the game you've just finished. Yeah, you can gamble on a cruise ship. I hope, <laughs> hope you like the Muppets a lot. Throw it over to JR because you can talk about the Hobbit on Windows. Pretty good. This is based upon the Hobbit book, not the Lord of the Rings movie, because mm-hmm. the rights were all messed up. Uh, you know, it up heroes Bilbo Baggins. You know, he's fighting a lot of big bad bosses in this, and kills orc after orc after orc. But for what it is, it's it's solid. Yeah, and uh, speaking of solid, Disney's Magical Quest Two, starring Mickey and Minnie on Game Boy. This is the one of the forgotten Capcom Disney games. This was yeah. I, I didn't play many of them either. They they totally I missed out on them because Mickey wasn't that exciting a character until they added Donald to the mix. So this is a remake of the '94 Super Nintendo game, The Great Circus Mystery, and oh. like pretty much all GBA remakes, it blows the Super Nintendo out of the water. I'm just constantly amazed by how they just go. We're just going to improve this. And they managed to do it yeah. on a handheld system. Yeah, I, I know for a couple of these GBA remakes, they're sometimes considered the definitive version of these games. They will not go back and be retouched after this or re-released because the format is incompatible with everything. And I think that's true for our final game. Yeah. Double Dragon Advance on GBA. It's twice as long as the original Double Dragon. And there's no slowdown. And it's just the improved version. I don't see why, if you're a Double Dragon fan, other than nostalgia, you play the original versus this one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Even then, they made a new one a couple years ago, and they added in the graphical glitches, <laughs> the processing difficulties. <laughs> yeah, and then we mentioned Crash Nitro Car. It's Crash in a car. Good for good for Crash. Uh, <laughs> so we'll oh, but it comes on the end gauge now. Hell oh yeah. boy! Yeah, you can we play this while side talking if you have a decently angled yeah. mirror. Gonna put that taco to my face. <laughs> and somebody isolate that clip. Throw that back at Diana someday. Uh, we'll close out with JG's Jay Z's ninety nine problems off of the Black Album, which is out this week. But don't go away. There's actually still more of the show. I promise. I don't know what you take me as or understand the intelligence that Jay-Z has. I'm from rag the richest niggas. I ain't dumb. I got 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one. Hope you having girl problems. I forgot for you, son. I got 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one. Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And for the week of November 10th through 16th, well, we've recommended a whole bunch of movies this time. So luckily, there's not a lot this week in Classic Corner. There's a lot next week. Next week is extremely busy. This week, though, 90 
years ago this week in 1933 saw the release of Little Women. Not that one, not the other one, not either of the silent versions. <laughs> Little Women has been filmed a lot of fucking times. This is the one with Katherine Hepburn in it, directed by George Cukor. I'm going to say it's my second favorite Little Women. I really love the Greta Gerwig Little Women. And the 90s one with Winona Ryder, pretty close to this one. I, I know that's a lot of people's introduction to the story, so I understand you have affection for it. And that was pretty good. This version of Little Women, I think I, I like second most, though. Because, I mean, I'm a giant Catherine Hepburn stan, and she's kind of the perfect person to to play Joe March. Because we know she's so headstrong and independent, and we understand why she'd be like, I want to go write and be a journalist, and I got to wear this giant fucking skirt. Oh, shit, my skirt caught fire. I got to fix it for the party. Oh, God, why do I have to do this? Uh Maybe I'm going to punch someone. I don't know. So, yeah, 1933 Little Women. Solid watch. You know, it's uh, the 30s. At this point, the 30s are finally getting sound down pretty well. So movies move with better pacing. And I really like it. But I big recommend a movie that is good, but also maybe a little bit more important than it is good. Starring Catherine Hepburn's not-husband Spencer Tracy is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Turning 60 years old. <laughs> um, and starring... Everyone who was funny ever up until 1963. Now, it is long. This is the first movie I ever saw that came on two VHS tapes. And I was like, is that allowed? And theatrically, it comes in at 161 minutes. I don't know if they found enough to put the original cuts together, which come in at like well over three hours. But... It's got everybody. It's got Spencer Tracy, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, Dick Sean, Mickey Rooney, Phil Silver shows up, Terry Thomas shows up, Jonathan Winters, Edie Adams, Dorothy Provine. So, and then then just people pop up, Eddie Rochester Anderson, Jim Beckus, uh Buster Keaton, Don Knotts, Peter Falk fucking shows up. Three Stooges. What, what, I'm the Three Stooges. I was getting to them. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Is anyone still alive from this? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. And um, it is a mad cat movie. We talked about Rat Race a little while ago, and it's the same idea. This, like, you know, a bunch of carfuls of people, they see this accident. Jimmy Durante, there he is, <laughs> um, who says, like, I stole a bunch of money and I buried it under a big W. And now they all start double-crossing each other and racing to try to figure out where the big W is. And it's, oh my god, it's just, you know, it's very cartoonish. It just keeps moving and moving. There's so many just little bits of, like, oh, I know, we'll rent a plane. Oh, shit, it's like a World War One biplane that um, I literally just put my foot through the floor and it's going slower than the cars. Okay, wackiness ensues. And just, it is nonstop silliness. It's so much fun. I, even little kids, I think, will like it because it's just so nonstop silly. And this the scene where Jonathan Winters literally destroys an entire gas station with his bare hands because he's so mad that they keep screwing with him. That was back before YouTube. I had this on VHS and I wrote down the time code of when that scene started. And that would be my little pick me up of like, I just need to laugh at something right now. I had to watch that scene from It's a Mad 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 World. It's one of my favorites. So, Yeah. Even if now you don't know who these famous people are, I think you'll still like it because it's so, so goofy. And it's directed by Stanley Kramer, who did like important movies like Judgment at Nuremberg. 
I, <laughs> that was what he was. He was known for message movies. Inherit the wind. We're going to talk about drama and social problems. Ah, let's just make this movie about a bunch of cartoon characters smacking each other around. Okay, so, yeah, it's a Mad 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 World, 1963. Total recommend. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. All right, coming in with <laughs> What Doesn't Kill You by Jake Bug off of Shangri-La, which I'm told was popular. <laughs> uh, I do not know this song at all. Welcome to 10 Years Ago, 2013, the 10 and 30 2010, your final segment. Other new music releases include Fun on Earth by Roger Taylor Once Upon and Once Upon a Crime by The Godfathers. Why so little? Royals by Lord is still number one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Usually we have a lot of music at the... September and early November, and then it, it starts to peter out. But the next couple of weeks are pretty big. Mm. I don't know why it was quiet this week. Well, uh, mm. a little bit of little bit of a pick me up. The end of your news segment. Uh, San Francisco gets a he- gets the hero it deserves. The Make a Wish Kid, Bat Kid, Bat Kid gets to be Batman. The whole city treats him like Batman, and he rescues a woman being tied to cable car tracks, defuses a bomb, and saves the San Francisco Giants mascot, Lou Seal. Oh, Arrested Development. I thought you made that up. Lucille. <laughs> I've never been more proud to be a San Franciscan yeah, than I was nice. on Bad Kid Day. People came together in a way that was incredible. And the, and the Make-A-Wish people did such a great job. They brought in so many people. Were just this, He's five years old. He had been diagnosed with leukemia just before he turned two. He had been doing chemo for more than half his life. Jesus. And he just finished chemo. He lived in like rural Oregon. And they were like, what do you want for Make-A-Wish? And his number one thing was, I want to be Batman. And number two is, maybe I could go to Disneyland. And they're like, we're not cheaping out on this. Here we go. Okay, we need to go somewhere that's a Gotham-y. San Francisco, closest thing. Okay. And then... that's I I remember when the Rumblings were like, we're going to do this. I'm like, I would totally do this. I just don't think you're serious. And then I was shocked. Like, oh, fuck. They did it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did it. They absolutely did it. And yeah, it was like, oh, okay, well, we'll just, I don't know. You could do like one little Batman thing and there'll be like maybe 50 people can show up and cheer. And thousands of people <laughs> showed up. They had to shut down city streets. They took him to AT&T Park where he rescued Lucille from the Penguin. The San Francisco Opera Costume Department got brought in <laughs> and they did the costumes for free. There is a documentary about it called uh, Bat Kid Begins. It's on Max right now. Yes, yeah. And it goes into detail of how much work went into this. And it's fantastic. And then, yeah, they talk to the kid and he's, he's five. He's just like, oh, you it, know. And, when you and see some footage of him, this was all wasted, like either wasted on him, but it's like genuinely scary for a kid. Yeah. Like it was, it didn't look like he was having a great time. <laughs> yeah, but he stepped up. Like they talked, you know, his parents are there, and like we were worried this wouldn't work because he's actually pretty shy. Mm-hmm. And then he, then you know, grown up Batman shows up at his hotel room with his Bat Kid suit and is like, "The police chief says we need to go." <laughs> and he like puts on the suit and he's already like standing there, like da da, <laughs> like I must save the city. It is so so great. Yeah, so check out Bat Kid Begins. So you want to? The kid's not dead. He made it. No, he made it. He's in remission. He's 15 years old now. 
Yeah. Helps out on yeah. the family farm, goes to high school in rural Oregon. Big misconception about Make-A-Wish is that they only do dying kids who are going to die and be dead. Which nope. I it's... held up until this moment. Yep. I just like the phenomenon of Bat Kid because you can just imagine John Cena in his house like just kicking stuff. Mother fuck, how much? God! <laughs> Uh, never miss I'm a moment. I'm going to meet like 17 more kids now. <laughs> Any moment I can take to stick it to John Cena. Movies uh, of 2013, woof, which I didn't get to any of because we lost a day in an hour, people. Uh, that <laughs> <laughs> Thor The Dark World is still number one for now at the box office. Yeah, for now. And uh, first up, I had no idea this is a remake in a movie that has been remade several times in several territories because it is a continuing saga of <laughs> sperm-based laziness uh chris pratt kobe smolders and vince vaughn in delivery man what if you found out you had 533 kids what? there was a mix-up at the fertility clinic you were their biological father what it is impossible to be the father of 533 children it is impossible to be the father of four children this contains the profiles of your children do not open it this could be the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me nice for the first time i'm doing the right thing i need order and this is order delivery man so it's like the only time i saw andy from parks and rec in a movie because he slims up quite a bit for his next movie role (laughs) Oh, Chris Pratt. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, we've had him in Zero Dark Thirty, but right, he's hidden under all that Kevlar. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, the story of a man who finds out his sperm is the, the father of five hundred, over five hundred kids. Yeah, but I didn't realize that this is one of those. It's not just it's a remake, but it's remade by the same guy. Yeah. It's the same writer director who made Starbuck, which is a French Canadian movie, which is supposed to be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this version is like, eh. I think the the Canadian one is based on a real guy. Cause, a possible Because th- this is not that uncommon a story. Do you remember SNL had that sketch, like just the 145 <laughs> yeah, of us? That was a doctor who was like committing biological fraud by inserting his sperm without yes. people's permission yes. yeah there there you're are right it's not the same at all you... it's it's totally no. different <laughs> well no it is because yeah that when you donate to a sperm bank they are there are ethical guidelines to how many of the sperm they're gonna use because if you have 500 kids presumably in the same geographical area they could end up falling in love with each other and that's fucked up uh and then don't do that I don't know if if any of you listened to those bonus times. I had a friend who did the 23andMe thing, and I think he told the story that his mom had grown up like, that guy wasn't your dad. That was your stepdad. I got you from a bottle. I'll take a 23andMe. I I didn't, like, I would never do that, but then, like, he didn't have these concerns. But a lot of people do that because I need to know what my genealogy is because I'm suffering from this disease and what fixed this, what fixed that, and boom, takes it, gets a pop. Like, uh, talks that in like, I don't know, is this real? And then looks at his face like, Jesus Christ, growing up an only <laughs> child, that guy looks a lot like me. And then slowly over the course of the next 18 months, and apparently yet another case when your sperm business is failing, the head doctor will become a regular Johnny Apple sperm. That's the best they can figure mm. out and pollinate the fucking region. And he did something like this happened to my friend. And you can hear about it on patreon.com slash laser time from years ago. Now, <laughs> Chris, did you yourself ever try to become a sperm donor? 
I don't know. I should because like I've I've wasted oh, you're so way much past the window. You're, no, you're am I? Yeah, you are. Uh, so I did try to become a sperm donor. Hold on, let me cross that off the list right next to military yeah. and the so, real world. I can't do Take a drink. <laughs> uh, I tried, but I didn't succeed. Uh, I was told my sperm was on the high end of average, but you can't be average to qualify. You need to be above average in your, what did we decide was the nomenclature? Uh, your load amount tasting yeah. for last week. Yeah. Right. yeah. Your load amount. Uh, yes. You got a real high and, class load here. Yeah. And you get paid differently. You mm -hmm. get paid more if when the child turns 18, they can know who you are and you get paid less if you're theoretically anonymous forever. I mean, hmm. who knows what's going to happen to you in 18 years. It might be nice to have a movie-esque big daddy <laughs> benefactor pop up out of nowhere. I'm a social media tycoon, and I want to know who my father is. Sweet. I can't afford this house. <laughs> yep. And well, I looked very, very, like, five minutes into egg donation and was like, oh, God, oh, no. A, a that is not a even, lot of work. It's not even comparable. They are not no. remotely the same thing. No, that's so much more work, so many more hormones. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, I, no, 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 no. But, I mean, if you're willing to be a full-on incubator, you can get, like, six figures sometimes well yeah because that's yeah. a massive commitment obviously <laughs> like, yep. you know better part of a year yeah yeah weird but i have uh, to work for 40 years unbelievable i know this is <laughs> bullshit and you can do another job at the same time that's true. hey you can double dip <laughs> anyway delivery man i the reviews were <laughs> better than what it yeah, looked better... like they were going to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the reviews for Starbucks are, are really strong. Like Starbucks, the, the Canadian version is supposed to be just so much better. I just wonder if Hollywood sanded off all edges, mm. maybe. But yeah, the idea that it's not about him reconnecting with all these kids, because that's just too many, but him like seeking out a couple and then kind of being like a guardian angel for them of just doing like, yeah, the, do a little thing to help you out. I'm not going to tell you I'm your dad. Hey, I did the lawn for you. Just assume yeah. it was a magical no. They help you out here. Yeah. It's like, okay, that, that is a cute idea. But yeah, it sounds like it was done better already. Yeah. So why bother? Why bother? And the next movie, which Jesus Christ, I know even less about, Regina Hall, Terrence Howard, Harold Perrineau, Morse Chestnut, Nia Long, Sanaa Lathan, and Tay Diggs in The Best Man Holiday. When friends get back together. After dessert, it's pajama time. You know I like to sleep naked. Men ask the hard questions. Your wife or your ex, which is better at rocking the mic? Check, check. You got to talk to it. Women tell it like it is. If I went that way, that's what I'd get. Tall vanilla latte. What did you Baby. This November, the games begin. I'm thinking if you guys go warm each other up. Good night. It's Christmas, and I'm willing to give, and I'm willing to receive. The Best Man Holiday. Rated R. Aha. Uh, hopefully that's the last we'll hear of blurred lines on the show. <laughs> <laughs> The sequel, yeah, in lieu of best, the best men too, best man holiday. Yeah, fourteen years later, yeah. <laughs> I I was positive, like I had false memories of there being like at least two other best man movies. I think I was just I, maybe I just confused other Tate Diggs movies or something. <laughs> yeah, but fourteen years after the best man, we get everybody back together, and they. Their lives have changed and, you know, they've coupled up or split up. They got kids. And I was so surprised at how much I like this. Because, yeah, again, I... like you were talking about, like, melodrama. Like, we yes. don't have melodramas anymore. Yeah, this is ha has those moments for sure. 
Yeah, it it has some melodrama moments, but it also has some like real honest, you know, friendship stuff. And like sometimes it's hard to be someone's friend, and sometimes like you give each other a lot of shit, but you're still best friends, or you've got conflicts, or can you bury the hatchet on different things? And it's like you know, uh, what was it called? I don't know. What what do I want to compare this to? The Big Chill. How about mm. that? I'll compare it to the big chill of just like, yeah, you're getting all your friends together and some stuff will start to come out and everyone has changed over time. And, but it's still like very fun. Even when it got like kind of heavy, it was still sort of light. Yeah. Uh, I was so pleasantly surprised. I watched a couple of clips and like, this doesn't seem for me and it's very melodramatic, but it was for some people because it knocks Thor off the box office, number one of the box office, which just tickles me for some reason. No, it just barely didn't. Oh, I thought it, came it did. Closer. Or no, it came eventually. closer than they thought. That's no, incredible. Thor, Thor is toast next week, though. <laughs> I'll tell you about what we're talking about next week. Okay. But yeah, best best man holiday. Um, yeah, I guess like a light recommend nice. if you just want to watch a movie about like yeah, big group of friends movie. Bingo. All right, we can move real quickly on a TV because Shake It Up ends on the Disney Channel. I am so so sorry, Gen Z. That sounded really good. <laughs> It's been on the air since 2010. I don't know anything about Shake It Up. I don't know what it is. Well, it gives us uh, two Disney stars. The most famous one is Zendaya. Oh, no shit. Yep. Really? This is her big breakout role. And Uh, uh, two best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Two best friends from inner city Chicago. Scam? Scam their way into being backup dancers for Shake It Up Chicago, an American bandstand variety show. And the producers like their moxie. Yes, I'm going to break a bunch of child labor laws and give you a show. Pretty (laughs) close. I don't need any paperwork. And (laughs) I didn't see that, but I remember this news. A month after reluctantly undergoing a mammogram live (laughs) for Good Morning America, Amy Robach uh, returns to GMA to reveal she will undergo a double mastectomy. Oh, boy. Mm. Can you imagine this? She did not want to do this. It was just like fine i'm gonna do this and then it's like oh wow you have major cancer and it's a good thing you did this because you would be dead if we didn't catch this wow that's yeah that is terrifying i've i have had a uh a mammogram i don't know what amy robach is shaped like so i don't know how this experience was different for her than was for me but i am a a petite woman Mm -hmm. up top and um I, uh, if there were cameras on me, uh, we would have been fined by the FCC. I would have, I was swearing the whole fucking thing. <laughs> Cause it's just, I mean, they take your boob and they got to squish it between plates, but I don't have a lot to squish. So it was like, <laughs> felt like it was tearing under my arms. They make you put on these Ugh. little, little metal pasties on your nipples. Uh, and then taking them off. Mm. Fuck. Good for her though. But yeah, yep. once you find out you got it, you got it. You have to deal with that immediately. And it's also, you know, just a reminder to our aging listeners, because uh, I know our demographic. Chances are, if you listen to the show, it's time for a mammogram. Or if you're like me and Chris, a colonoscopy. I'm going to get both. Have you gotten one yet, Chris? No. You're getting to the age. No, I'm past the age. Just like, don't tell me. Just let it kill me. It's much easier (laughs) that way. And less of a bill. At least prostate checked if you're over 40. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're over forty, get your prostate checked. If you're a dude, deal you with can it. Do it as, a, as a gag, because that does remind me. I think we were joking 
decades ago, like, yeah, let's go get our sperm check, sperm check together. Do us check our sperm counts together. And the realization of like, if there's bad news, this is not going to be funny anymore. And that's a thousand times worse for poor Amy Robach. So we just didn't do it. Oh, geez, that sucks. And yeah, and if you're a woman that has breast cancer in her family, uh, go get genetic testing. See if you got the BRC. Yeah. And maybe you have 500 half brothers and sisters out there that can tell you what they did to yeah. beat the cancer. Also, this week airing SpongeBob SquarePants. SpongeBob, you're fired. No, the no. Krusty Krab. How will it survive? <laughs> but it, you know, tackles the question of unemployment and public existence, and you know. Things you wouldn't normally expect SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> to tackle. Okay. Um, living on the dole, Patrick. And then also this week, Parks and Rec, the filibuster episode. Yeah. I think one of the... Can, can yeah, we play the clip? Yeah, made famous by like... It, it it promoted itself with an uncut clip of Patton Oswalt's improv filibuster, which I don't think all these acquisitions have gone through. This is what I predict actually happening in 10 years on screen. Someone should make an AI movie about this. Yes. A patent ball is filibustering a local state law and just goes off. If I stand here and refuse to yield my time, you are prohibited from voting on the bill. Let the filibustering begin. As many of you have noted uh, that use the internet, it has been announced that Disney has required the rights to the Star Wars franchise, and in the summer of 2015, we will see the release of Star Wars uh, Episode Seven. Herewith is my proposal for the plot of that movie. Uh, begin with standard uh, title uh, sequence and John Williams fanfare, uh, followed by a scroll to be written. I would like to mention that Brian De Palma wrote the original opening scroll for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. I think it would be a nice nod uh, to the franchise if he were to write this opening scroll. Then, pan down from the twin sons of Tatooine, uh, we are now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the... That happened. That happened. But he goes crazy. He starts... This is nine minutes. (laughs) ...the Marvel Universe with this, and it is a thing of glory. And I understand he improv the whole thing, which, hats off, sir. Mm -hmm. Hats off. Yeah. Patton Oswalt yeah. is good geek, yes. He is, yes, one of our many geek kings. Yeah, the point where he's like, oh, we think it's the Millennium Falcon, but really it's the Quinjet, and Wolverine is flying it. And then when we find out, oh, they're going to tease that Chewbacca. Chewbacca's dead, but but they're going to tease that he's going to come back with, like, a robot spider body. A lot of, <laughs> again, a lot of this also happened, teasing Chewbacca's death. Oh, yep. boy. And then uh, bookending this, uh, South Park, Black Friday airs and i love my personal history with south park because i'll be infatuated and then like and i'm in my period right now after the pandaverse thing and i back away and then three to five years later they do something that i can't ignore and like okay that was great for some reason i was back home for the holidays and i caught black friday and i thought well they're obviously promoting their game stick of truth which comes out in a few months no and but i believe that's how it started they were going to use unused stuff from the game and pad an episode but these guys have a weird process and like game of thrones is really big and make this great game of thrones 
trilogy with the characterizations of the Stick of Truth game. I think this is my favorite one of their trilogies. It's so you know, fun. they just have this idea that we don't need to make a movie. We can just, you know, have a trilogy and it'll be as good as a movie. And by God, it is. If this had been released in theaters, I would have loved it so much. Yeah. They tackle the console wars, they tackle Game of Thrones, Black Friday. My Black Friday. Mm-hmm. My only complaint is they do George R. R. Martin dirty. They say that he is obsessed with wieners. Wiener, and as wiener, anyone wiener. who has read the books <laughs> or has seen the TV show, it's boobs. It's mm-hmm. not wieners. He is far, far more of the she breastedly he... boobily walked down the yeah, stairs. Yeah, he writes a lot more about <laughs> boobs. This is for sure. His yep. dick glistened in the, in the moonlight as it swayed in the wind like a sock telling a plane which way to, to taxi. Yeah, but I they... do love the clip from the betrayal garden because yeah. <laughs> I watched this with my wife at the time. We had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Not a whole hell of a lot you can do. One thing we would frequently do with the kids is take them for a walk in a local garden. And so after this, for the next six months, we'd ask each other, well, do you want to go for a walk in the betrayal garden? <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, Sir Stan. This is all about you and me getting PlayStation. The rest are simply there to help us get through. He's lying to you! <laughs> They're just acting like they've given up, but it's a double bluff. <laughs> They're going to betray you at the Red Robin wedding. He got the idea watching Game of Thrones. Dude, shut the fuck up! Who is that? He's just this old crazy guy that gets pissed off because I'm in his garden all the time. They're going to lock you in. God damn it, shut up! I love that. Cartman has his own It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, just kiss her. <laughs> How much time passes in 10 years? That is like season one Game of Thrones stuff, the garden walk. That that that. But that's how important it was to understanding a parody of the show. Also, I just want to point out, I don't know that we're going to have Black Fridays as what this depicts no. again, because I think COVID no. sort of drove a nail in that and retailers didn't like it to begin with. And it's, it's over. And, and you know, uh, black Monday has, I think eclipsed it in terms of Cyber Monday. actual shopping. But that's the thing. They don't have to keep in league with those fucking idiotic doorbusters things. Cause the, the footage of people ransacking a Walmart on black Friday is like a five, six year old concept. Like that doesn't really, cause I am a deal hunter. Those deals don't really come through anymore, and therefore Amazon doesn't match them. So those deals are bad, mm-hmm. too. Not complaining. It seemed to be more trouble than it's worth. So uh, yeah. happy. I went shopping on Black Friday one time in my life, mm-hmm. and I was just like, never again. And mm-hmm. I never have. It was just god-awful. Yeah, when I nope. moved back here and was dating a girl, and she just comes over at like 6 a.m. No, she came over the night before and then threw down all these inserts. Like, we are going to do Black Friday so fucking hard. And I was just like, among the many things we disagree on, I'm not doing that. I'm not participating in that. And she got so sad. I did it, and it was fucking awful. Like, I participated in Buy Nothing Day by going to every retailer in town. It, I participated in Buy Nothing Day before by not leaving the house. It was agonizing. Mm-hmm. Three trips to Starbucks. Ugh. Oh, Black Friday. I don't. I will not miss you. Nope. The South Park episode is pretty great, and there is a light plug for the game at the end, but they mostly avoid any... It doesn't have anything to do with the game. They're just in the same outfits. Yeah. 
In this episode, they say, ah, pre-orders are stupid. You're just giving your money to a bunch of assholes who won't even release their game on time. <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> but it was good when it came out, and it did come out in March. Video, speaking of video games, 10 years ago, you got Book of Potions on PS3. Um, uh, Harry Potter interactive book type game. Right. Would it have like an uh, iToy support or something? Interactive at like a... Hand interactive elements, I can't remember. Uh, and Ratchet and Clank Into the Nexus. Yet another Ratchet and Clank game I missed. Into the Nexus <laughs> on PS3. Deadfall mm-hmm. Adventures is out on uh, P- PC and 360. Features the grandson of Alan Quartermain in World no. War II. So, you know, okay. interesting. What? And then um, the Joggernaut, Mario and Sonic, come together to do Olympic sports at Sochi in 2014 for Wii U. <laughs> Are we going to have these until the end of time? Because once they came up with the formula, it's just like, well, there's no reason not to do this every two years. I can ask somebody who might know, but the the weird thing was, I believe Sega licensed the Olympics to make Olympics games. And that was what they licensed the Olympics for. And then, oh, Nintendo wants to do a thing on their minigame machine. Mm. I hate that this is the way that... Mario and Sonic have largely teamed up substantially other than Smash. But well, what would you want out of a Mario and Sonic game? Something platformy, something re- respective. I would like to be Mario in a Sonic game and Sonic in a Mario game. Sonic with uh, with a Tanuki suit, Mario traveling <laughs> at the speed of light. You got the jet those jet those jet sh- those jet boots in Mario Wonder if you've gotten to that level yet. Could be neat. But again, if, if Sega loosens this Olympic license, I don't know if these games will exist until the end of time because I don't know that they make Olympic video games anymore. I don't think anybody does. Um, but that's originally why they did it, because they had the Olympics license. But I was trying to get through that fast, because um, the biggest thing is that Sony launches the PlayStation 4, selling a million units on its first day. And what are the larger scarcities, non-pandemic scarcities, in, for like a year after that? It was really difficult to get your hands on a PS4. This is when we really get the modern era because to me, PS4 and X-Bone graphics still look amazing. I am still just like not, I've yet to have, I own a PS5, I've yet to have anything on it that I'm like, wow, there's no way you could do this on my PS4. Spider-Man 2, it's kind of the first, it, 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 it's a shame, it's, it's almost embarrassing that it's taken this long to put out a game that, oh, I don't think the other the older console could do that. But it is really weird. This is the last time I think we were focusing on graphics or visuals, whereas the things I like about my PS5 and Xbox are the solid state loading and uh, the frame rate. It has a little less to do with fidelity. So it's, it's very unexciting. <laughs> I don't have a solid state loader on my computer. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I should upgrade, right? Oh, that yeah. is just like the the one thing that'll like make my computer. Be I gotta good say, like for I, another four or five years. If we can go off on Chris's tech talk for a second, I mm-hmm. edit these shows on a different machine that I built in 2012 with a solid state hard drive. I used to have to go through hard drives and PCs very, very often to edit the show. This thing is still fully capable. This hard the hard drive is a thing that that really gives out on you, and it is like a champ over 10 years. I've never had a hard drive last this long. And if you, before the show started, you listeners didn't get to see this. I had to reboot my computer. Took seconds. (laughs) It took seconds. Great. Get your solid state. But that is, that is the defining characteristic of what makes the PS5 different. We also have a semi unexciting launch um, as, as no, it's unexciting. There is not a game here where you would be like, I have to buy the PS4 
to play these games. Uh, highlighted not a one. by Angry Birds Star Wars, which is 99 cents in your app stores and thirty nine ninety nine on PS4. <laughs> it's the same game. It's oh not like God. amazingly uh, new levels or anything. It's the exact same game, and it's just one of those reasons why the real winner of every console war of the last 13 years has been Apple. <laughs> a little, a little, because they, they don't make a ton of money. Uh, well, no, they do. They do. But Apple like, doesn't make money. That's no, 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 no. But, they but are... like they, they get a cut, assuming people actually buy shit. And many of those, they get a glut of games, but a majority of them never make a dime. And, yeah, but and Apple it, don't care. But if Apple sold them for $5, those failure games would make a lot more than free to play. Anyway, Flower comes out on PS4. That's a PS3 game. Just Dance. One of the first artistic video games I've ever played where I've been like, very wow, this is pure art. You play as a flower petal who must navigate a ravaged world and bring it back to environmental life. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. The only game worth playing with your six-axis controller. Just Dance 2014 is out. On everything, and this kill zone shadowfall. That's your killer app. No. Uh Knack. Knack. A lot is a lot of hay has been made about Knack at these pre PS4 press conferences. And a cute six to seven out of ten little platformers what it turned out to be. Lego Marvel Star Wars, Madden NFL uh, twenty five, NBA two K fourteen, Need for Speed Rivals, all stuff available on other systems. Rezogun, a game I got free with my Vita years ago, <laughs> is a launch title. Skylanders Swap Force. Another multi-platform thing. Sound Shapes? That might have been an exclusive. Uh, Super Mother Load. Trying 2, Complete Story. Porta Trying 2, Warframe is out on PS4. And then, of course, we have X Rebirth on PCs. Oh, So PS4 did win this generation of the console wars. And I think this commercial is why they beat Xbox. This is how you share your games on PS4. Harai hands the game to what's his name because there was a rumor Xbox was going to eliminate you. There wasn't gaming. a rumor; it was an official announcement. They said Xbox, here's the whole rigmarole that you're going to have to go through if you want to change your game. And then they backtracked a few weeks later because yeah. the internet just hated. There was a them. lot of backtracking that made that system totally suck. The hundred dollar connect was the big thing. That was the deal breaker. I just sort of resent this just because it's like. There's a lot of complaining gamers online were just like, I want physical gaming, like, because it looks like your old gaming. Like, I, I digital game all the time and save way more money than I would ever buying physical. It's ridiculous. But I won't, I, I kind of, I always recommend, because now they sell physical and non-physical versions of both Xbox and PlayStation consoles, always get the physical one because garage sales, used game stores, you never know. You like so, like it's always nice to have that option. But the idea that Xbox was—I I don't know, remember exactly what they were gonna do. But they, people were up in arms, like always online. I'm not always online. If my internet went out for a millisecond, I would be losing my <laughs> mind, and it wouldn't necessarily be over whether I could, whether or not I can play Resident Evil. I wouldn't be able to do any of my work or watch anything anymore. So I I wasn't that concerned with always on online at the time and, st- and st- still not like steam does the same shit because you're always online when you're at your pc anyway that you're right that i that might have been how they won the console war but i think it was more we're a hundred dollars less and yeah. why the connect thing we're going to abandon in one year that nobody liked on the previous platform because if we weren't being 
specific enough about the story, Diana, Microsoft kind of miraculously pulled ahead in the last and longest generation in console history of Sony, mm. which was a real big upset and did not maintain it. And I believe even the Microsoft head himself says, we'll never regain that because people chose their ecosystem once they started buying digital games. It's like I, Samsung may release a better Galaxy. Every purchase I've made in 15 years has been on iPhone. I'm not leaving. I can't. Yeah. I'm locked. Yeah, I'm I'm locked into the iPhone too, and I'm kind of locked into the PS4 because I have a decent PC. So anytime there's an exclusive Xbox game, I can just play it on my PC. So I mean, if I'm yeah. only going to buy one console, I'm always just getting the latest PlayStation. I think that's what the Xbox fella conceded. Like we we lost an incredibly important generation that generation which was defined by digital sales anywho that is it for the show other than some uh we're going to tell you who died during this period in a little fun quiz you can uh, play along with as i win um <laughs> i'm not really bragging support us at patreon.com slash laser time we encourage you to give five bucks you can give more or less but we appreciate it it's how we keep the show going we thank you so much and uh over a hundred hundreds of other podcasts to enjoy including series like elm street nightmare that are exclusive all about halloweeny goodness if you're still feeling that i know i kind of still am i have not yet fully undressed my yard from halloween because it hurts i yeah. like it so much i put my giant skeleton in a triple xl christmas sweater that is the best i could do and there you uh, go. <laughs> and diana where can folks find you at you can find me on the blue sky right now at listenerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d Coming up next week, we fudged a date this week because it was a Korean release and I thought we could probably get away with it. We are moving it because next week it is old boy versus old boy. Jesus Christ. We're talking about both of them. I can tell you next week I have watched them back to back in the same day. Oh boy. I'm probably going to do that. Uh, I'm going to do that. I don't recommend doing that. I'm going to do it anyways. Okay. Well... (laughs) We have another movie from 2003 that is also incredibly hard to watch. Uh, just it's disturbing in many of the same ways as Old Boy, uh, except this one is the beginning of the end of Mike Myers's career. Oh no! Oh no! Ooh. Oh yes, we have the best Thanksgiving movie of all time that takes place at summer camp for some reason. <laughs> I am so excited, and. We have the sequel to the big movie about the kids who have to kill each other in a big arena because it's post-apocalypse and they're shooting arrows and they're killing each other. That's right. Remains of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And if that wasn't enough, next week, Jerry doesn't get a massage. All he gets is sex. (laughs) Atari launches its final console. Well, Dexter's laboratory shuts down. No. Mario Kart is all about those blue sparks. Oh hell yeah. Wow, and, really? Holy shit. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> and Alec Baldwin breaks Chevy Chase's record. Ha mm. Wait, okay. Um I think I, mm. I'm actually not sure if I get that. I can't wait to tune in next week. Hopefully I'll get a chance. Thank you guys so much. With that out of the way, Diana, who died? Well, in 1993, we lost Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman. He was only 67. He's one of those guys that, you know, before the previous president's era, 
Like, mm-hmm. I would hear my mom talk about these obscure ass political figures and be like, oh, fucking hold him. And I fucking hate that guy. I'm like, who who gives a shit? <laughs> Who's at, he's a chief of staff, whatever. And now I understand. I'm like, oh, God, fucking Bill Gore. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. I understand now. Um, he went to prison for doing the bad thing in the White House. Yeah. Who played this him in that? Underlined. The White House plumber show. I forget. Um, oh, yeah. I know remember but uh yeah underline conspiracy obstruction of justice and three counts of perjury he did time not enough time but he did some time yeah fuck haldeman he was he was a sneaky little bastard Mm. so sneaky fucking fascist and then uh, someone i'm 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 kind of glad haldeman's gone but uh, i'm not glad about 2003 at all that's when we lost jonathan brandis who was only 27 Twenty yeah, seven club, the kid from Neverending Story Two, Ladybug, Ladybug Sidekicks, baby. DSV, Sequest, yeah, DSV. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he was he had some depression problems, and he was upset that his adult career was it, it, it was it was getting there, but it wasn't getting there. And uh, I thought he was good. He took, I really liked that guy. He took his own life. Yeah, yeah, he was all right. I, I would have loved I mean, to I, see what he was capable of now. Like, there's so much work to be had if you're a known actor at this point. Look at Haley Joel Osment, man. That is not the childhood career path I think anybody would have expected or laid out for themselves. But he's having a great time. So to all of our young, famous act child actors out there, don't kill yourself. It's a tough transition to make, especially when you're, I don't know, pretty. He's a very pretty boy. It doesn't boy. help as a guy yeah. to be thought of as pretty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it ain't right. I liked Ladybugs. There, I said it. Oh, God. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I liked it in theaters. I liked it on HBO. And I had a lot of trouble watching it for this show, but <laughs> it's hard not mm. to like. It's not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that movie, but it's definitely not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well with, with the, the deaths comes the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. Turning 61, born November 11th, 1962, in Roswell, New Mexico. So, obviously an alien. She appeared on the cover of the January 1981 issue of the adult magazine, We, when she was 16 years old. Oh. Okay. She made her film debut same year and appeared on the soap opera General Hospital from 1982 to 1983. Okay. Movies of hers we've talked about include About Last Night. Oh, uh, Demi, Demi Moore? Moore? It is Demi Moore. Yes. Uh, I even guessed which About Last Night we talked about. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <There are> two. <laughs> uh, and then we get into the ones that give it away completely. Ghost, A Few Good Men, Indecent Proposal, Disclosure, Strip Tease, The Scarlet Letter, The Juror, G.I. Jane. And then in the I will punch 21st you century, a Flawless, a Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Mr. Brooks, Margin Call. She also was the highest paid actress yeah. in all of Hollywood at the time, receiving $12.5 million dollars for her role in striptease, which was a record breaker at the time. And $8 million yep. less than numerous of her male counterparts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Her tra- career trajectory has been pretty interesting. It where is. it's like, yeah, she was the biggest fucking star in the yeah. world in the early 90s. And I think she, and she, she kind of backed out. I, 
I don't know if they were the right roles for her. Like, she, yeah. th- there's some movies that's like, no, that was a bad move. Don't mm-hmm. do it. I mean, besides Scarlet Letter, which is just hilariously bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even think about that. I don't know. She didn't have, like, she made some bad choices, but I'm not really sure what choices she had. Because, like, what were the great yeah. movies starring women around Scarlet Letter, for fuck's sake? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There just weren't enough roles to go around. There weren't enough projects, period, for her to be involved yeah. with and be a movie yeah. star. Mm-hmm. And she clearly didn't want to go the rom-com route. So took the Carl Hyacin striptease route. Um, oh, yeah, that was a weird yeah. one. <laughs> I did enjoy her in Charlie's Angels yeah, Full man, Throttle, which is not... <laughs> I was like, I would have liked to see more of this. Yeah, be villains. That was fun. Yeah. Um, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I loved you in Beavis and Butthead Do America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, patreon.com slash laser time. We encourage you to support that, especially around the holidays. But we got to close out the show with All That She Wants by Ace of Base. It's out this week, baby. That I believe it's number two behind I Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> you know? get too far into it, but in I guess my section of the world, my neighborhood, my youth, it was really rare for a kid to have a TV in their room. So we obsessed over the movies and TV that we could and the games that we could. But everybody I knew was listening to the radio. I have never heard a song talked about like Ace of Base when it came out. Because it didn't sound like anything else. Like rock was kind of dead and like things were a little Michael Bolton-y and meatloafy, And like this is a new sound. What what and like people were singing it and like have you heard that new song Ace of Base and like it was very confusing when I was twelve. Yeah, I, I don't I I would relish being in a situation where like dozens if not hundreds of kids are talking about the same song. Peers are talking about the same song around me. I gotta I can't wait to see that. I can't look it up. I gotta wait. I gotta stare at my radio and wait. Again, not better. But it like made you hella curious. <laughs> Come on, I want to hear Europop. I don't know what that is yet. I, I didn't know what that was. And yeah. yeah, it was this was really big. But we'll close out with some ace of bass. We'll see you next week. Yeah.